Good evening, Model Railroaders, and welcome back to the second section podcast, the show where it's just a couple of guys talking about model railroading. And tonight we have a great show for you. With me, as always, is my co-host, Rainer Shine, Weller Sick, Mike Ostertag. Mike, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing just great. Cheeto <laughs> yeah. or no Cheeto? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing fan flipping tastic. Yeah, you sound like uh like a rusty chainsaw. Th- that's you know what? That's a step up from the way I was feeling all those last couple of days. <laughs> yeah, outstanding. Yeah, that's that's, that's all right. Tough. That's all right. It's uh got to go through these things sometimes. And- it kind of gives you that radio voice. Yeah, right. I mean, it's uh, well, I definitely got the face for radio. I mean, it's the carton of lucky song. Yeah, <laughs> was it? Uh, wasn't that uh, Madge? Wasn't that Joey Tribbiani's? Uh, right. Uh, uh, wasn't that her name, Madge or Marge or whatever it is? Her agent. Yeah. Boy, do I got a deal for you, Joey? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a throwback. And, yeah, and back. Back with us tonight on the show is Mike Rose. Mike, welcome. Welcome hey, back to the second section. How nice are you doing? I'm doing great for an old duffer. An old duffer. <laughs> All right. That sounds good. So Mike joins us from the crew call with Mike Rose um, and, and his podcast. And tonight he's uh, he's going to be uh, sharing some work that he did with uh, MRH, correct? Right. This is, um, it's actually, uh, it's one half of the uh, two-part article is out in the current issue. Yeah. And the next one will be out uh, in about, you know, two weeks-ish. Because they, I think they come out middle of the month, typically. Okay. That's awesome. So we'll we'll have to tune in for part two. Um, I need a sneak peek here. Oh, we might even get a sneak peek tonight. That sounds great. And... Mike, since since we've we've talked last, we've had a few more people join the show on a regular basis. So, if you'd be so kind as to uh, give yourself a, an introduction on uh, who you are, what you do these days, and and what you're modeling. Um, well, I've been modeling for. I told somebody this the other day, and I just thought, oh man, more than half a century. Um, wow. Because I started in my early teens. And, yeah. uh, but the stuff that I like is really the last 10 years. That, that's, that's the stuff that I'm finally happy with. And uh, the majority of my layout was built within the last 10 years. The only thing uh, going back to the original uh, is bench work in the original train room. But the layout's gotten bigger and bigger. Yeah. And I built an addition in my house. And the layout was largely the driving force for that, too. So it's about 1,800 square feet of um, oh my gosh railroad, which is about right, I think. Um, I've been writing articles for a long time. Probably have you know, I guess over 200 articles in print. Um, been in a couple of books and things like that. And uh, yeah, for went for for a period of time, you know, went around to all the train meets and did a lot of clinics. Uh, sometimes on weathering and sometimes on just what was going on with the layout. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, you, you do that for X amount of time and, you know, you stop going to so many train shows, you know. I think it was after sure. my divorce that I went to 
all the train shows. I was going to, <laughs> you know, WPM in California and Naperville and Cocoa Beach and, you know, sure. Philly area. I mean, wherever they were at, yep, I was hitting the road and going to it. So I met a lot of um, a lot of people at these shows, uh, many of which are, you know, lasting lasting friendships, you know. So yeah. you click with compatible people that, that you come across, you know. So the, that was kind of a good way to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. So and, you're... Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. You're, you're modeling uh, HO scale, right? HO scale, Conrail, 1984. 1984. Uh, the the uh, Lehigh line, which yeah. is, um, there's different sections of it. Okay. Um, the, uh, the, the, the most of the Lehigh line that's still in use these days by class ones uh, is not what I'm modeling. I'm modeling, hmm. uh, much of what I'm, I'm modeling is what Reading and Northern is using today. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I go from my, my northern staging yard on Conrail uh, is uh, Sayre. And mm. uh, that was a major yard for uh, for Lehigh Valley. And and for a while it was on Conrail. But of course, when, when Conrail took over all these predecessor roads, they had to look for uh, different places to, uh, you know, get some economy going. So, yeah, right. Uh, they, they, you know, they they uh, they really focused on Allentown Yard. Um, Allentown would be the south staging yard on my layout. Okay, so so what's the primary traffic then that your your model railroad, um, I guess, would be hauling through through your the Lehigh line here? Well, you know, it's uh, it's interesting because the original railroad um, has gotten rebuilt a whole bunch of times before I really got my existing concept, and um, the original train room, which is one half of the basement focuses on the line from Sayre all the way down to Pittston. So in the old days, Pittston was actually my uh, southern staging yard. Yeah. And I had done all the little towns in between um, and a big uh, a big Procter & Gamble uh, mill at Mahoopany. Several yeah. grain elevators, uh, a lot of um, lumber and building materials, dealers, um, that was the, that's that was the primary series of industries that were on this line. It almost seemed like every every other town had a grain elevator and a, and a lumber uh, dealer. Yeah, right. There was also right. in Tawanda a big uh, masonite uh, factory. Yep. Uh, they got yeah. all door box cars, and I do model that. And nice. there's a um, uh, Sylvania facility, Osram Sylvania, that's now called Global Tungsten, and I think they do high-end filament-based lighting products. I, mean, I don't even know really that that's, there's still a market for that, but maybe it's maybe it's tubes used in other kinds of things. I don't know, but um, back in the day, they used to get mainly uh, tank cars full of chemicals. Ah. So you have quite the diversity of, of traffic on your layout. Um, well, it, then- it gets better because when, yeah. I, when I expanded into the other side of my basement, uh, and particularly once I got the addition going and I expanded again into that, yeah. um, that incorporated now a whole bunch more things. So I have hmm. uh, two short lines and another uh, major railroad on the railroad that interchange with Conrail. Uh, There's a little, little short line in Tawanda called the TMSL, which is the Tawanda Monroe and Shippers Lifeline. And it's a little SW1 and one or two grain hoppers that, they pick up in Tawanda and trundle all the way down to Monroe into a to a mill there, uh, no longer in use, 
but the track is owned by Reading and Northern. It, there's potential for it someday, but there mm -hmm. hasn't been a train on there in some years. But in my year, that was a regular uh, operation. And then, of course, the Pocono Northeast, which operated in and out of the uh, the, the greater uh, Scranton and uh, and Pittston and Wilkes-Barre areas. Uh, and they basically roamed all over the place oh, cool. on uh, on branch lines that Conrail spun off. And they ran in and out of Taylor Yard. They ran in and out of Pittston Yard. Um, they had a little a little yard in Avoca that I model, uh, which is, I think, a former uh, EL facility. Oh, my God. The DNH, of course, uh, modeling Taylor, uh, I modeled their crossing in, in connection with Conrail and DuPont. So that was like a major scenic element to, uh, to build and get into place. So there's a lot of interaction with Conrail uh, on my layout, which is good because in my era, Conrail only ran two road trains a day. They ran a northbound and a southbound, roughly 12 hours apart. Okay. So... Um, usually the, our, in our operations pattern, and, and if I'm going too far down the rabbit hole with operations, no, 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 me, but, um, is there such a thing? <laughs> you'll find out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, if we, if we start like with the, with the beginning of what I call the operating pattern, yeah. um, let's say we're running a northbound ALCG that runs from Allentown to Corning gang mills on the way to Buffalo, but basically the a Buffalo uh, train would pick up from gang mills. In my era, they didn't run all the way to Buffalo like they used to. Uh, that train will stop at Pittston and at Mahoopany and usually dropping off large cuts of cars in each location. Yeah. And, and then it picks up large cuts of cars and continues on to its destination. Those cuts that have been dropped off are now dealt with by the guy who's working Piston Yard, usually my buddy Dave, yeah. uh, or the guy who's running Mahoopany, which is often me if it's just the two of us. Uh, although in the last op session, Joe Posick was running Mahoopany and Mike Confalone was taking locals. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of locals that operated out of Pittston. These locals would go to uh, Scranton. They would go to the Kaiser Valley Industrial Park. They would go to uh, Crestwood Industrial Park. Uh, they would go to Jenkins on, on another local. Um, so these locals went all over the place. And um, I always liked locals. You know what I mean? There's there's yeah. usually a good mix of uh, traffic on the train. Uh, sometimes the local works with the yard guy to make up his train. Sometimes the yard guy makes it up for him. Uh, usually when they get to their destination, they've got all kinds of work. So it's not uncommon, really, to send somebody out on a local. And you don't hear from them for you know, hour and a half, two hours. That's awesome. At times when, you know, if it's just my buddy Dave and I running trains, he might be in one end of the basement and I'm in the other, and I don't talk to him for like an hour. Um, sometimes we're working cooperatively in a particular spot. Sometimes we're right on top of each other. And I'm like, can I get by here? You know, that kind of thing. But usually <laughs> uh, it's not that, that big a problem in 1,800 square feet. No, it's that's awesome that you can you can just almost isolate yourself and get lost, right. and and still have the the feel of a, a big layout. It, it's designed that way. It's designed so that you feel like you're going somewhere. You yeah, know, right. Doing something when you get there, and then and then coming back. If you were just to run point to point 
at a normal track speed, it'll probably take you about 24 minutes, give or take. Mm. So it's a pretty good mainline run. But that road train that I mentioned would probably take hour and a half by the time it works in the various places it, it has to work and wait when it needs to wait and that kind of thing. It's 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 funny too because we one of the the recurring themes on the show that we've had is uh, scale, right? Um, so every even like colors and and uh, you know the the color of a locomotive or the the the, uh, the sheen or the the finish of a locomotive. You don't want it too shiny. You don't want it too matte. Um, you know the size of a of a scene, but you you think of the scale of operations then too, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're allowed to essentially get the sense that you've gone from place to place and to be able to create that on a 1800 square foot layout is, is really kind of awesome. Yeah, I, I kind of, you know, really, I, I did not learn to operate in my own layout. You know, my, I was way behind guys like, you know, Mike Confalone. I basically learned to operate on, on his layout. And for the longest time, I was actually more familiar with his layout than my own. Um, you, you know, you have to operate on a layout to really get to know it. Yeah. And um, a lot of the operational concepts uh, that I use um, were things that I learned at at, at his house. I, I basically yeah. stole everything I liked and made a few changes for my own for my own liking in terms of the paperwork and things like that. But you know, we all use the same throttle settings uh, that that MC came up with himself. You know, through hours and hours of testing, is the reason we call him Mr. Fussy. You know, so. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> really he, he does all wow. of our backdrop work you know he just he just completed a backdrop for Pittston Junction for me you know so wow. he's done backdrop work for for Neil Schofield and for Jim Dufour and and Jim Reddington and you know he does great everybody has sort of a you know a specialty so um we, and we all kind of leverage the, that uh um, amongst ourselves you know what I mean so it's yeah. it's nice to have these these complementary uh, skills and, and a lot of overlap in terms of uh, technique and ability, you know, and I, I yeah. think a lot from these guys and I'm not, not ashamed to say it. And, um, and, and, you know, rock with it. Yeah, exactly. That's so this is, this is uh, quite the, quite the intro, Mike. So it's, it's going to be interesting how we've kind of set the scene up here um, to, to talk about our main, our main, I guess, course this evening of, of of the the deep scene, yeah, um, this is going to be awesome. Yeah, so it's going to be great. Is this, oversell it now? Oh, we're going to totally oversell. Oh, it's it. already it's going to be oversold. <laughs> we're going to we're going to we're going to yeah. totally oversell it, and we're going to be kicking the crying kids off of the uh, off the yeah. flight by the time this thing leaves the gate. That's for yeah. sure. So before we before we get started into our segments here, um, speaking of introductions, we have. Over 60 folks on the live stream watching us this evening. Sweet. Yes. Yeah, so I think it's time to give some shout outs here as, as we go through. First one in in here was Mike uh, Shanky at, at 638 this evening. Says, good evening, everyone. Kenneth Schmidt is here. Ryan Folk, David Winther, Wigwag Workshop. Hey there, folks. Chris Bell is here this evening. Um, we have Chris Holzbach here as well. Welcome, Chris. Thomas, Chris, it's the Chris Show tonight. Um, welcome. Iron River 11 is here. Gary Kobe, Cobes is here. Nick LaRusso, Thomas Imlay, John Rose, 
um, asking if the band is ready. The greasy meat. No relation. Band. No relation. No relation. Uh, Thomas Klamoski's here this evening. Randy Timmerman, Graham Stockfield. Welcome from Mackenzie Hill, Australia. Wow. Paul Scott from, I, I believe, the Pittsburgh area is here this evening. This And he models the Chicago Northwestern Mondovi line. Uh, Paul Scott August, welcome, Paul. Um, Beer line modeler is here this evening. Welcome. Uh, Tim D., Joe DeLuso, uh, the Chicago, Denver, and Northern is here. Welcome. See, Stephen Gilligan is here tonight. Tom Holly, good evening. Uh, N Scale Shenanigans is in the house this evening. Welcome. Brandon is here. Welcome. Jerry Jackson is here as well. Box Ride and Boomer Dioramas um, has some sad news to report that they tore oh, down no. the Milner grain elevator today. So Aww. condolences boomer but welcome to the show uh soco olds is here uh, 455 and ralph renzetti roger moses and oh my gosh paul h is here this evening jeremiah lighthouse has been a poster on the facebook page is here santa anna and industrial lead is here as well um fantastic showing tonight we're up to 67 i'm gonna give the the usual like share and subscribe um to the to the show every every subscription every like helps our helps support our podcast well we got another one here dave looks like dave percy welcome dave tom o'connell is here welcome tom big contributor to the facebook page as well i think tom won workbench of the week um on the last show so Anyways, good good showing from the section crew this evening, and it looks like more and more people are starting to filter in. So the rules for the chat are as follows. Keep it uh, civil, keep it model railroad related. Um, that way I don't have to boot you. If you have questions for Mike or any of the stuff, uh, Mike Rose or Mike Ostertag for that matter, um, any, of the, any questions, uh, be sure to fire them into the chat tonight. I'll get them up on screen and we can discuss them as as we go. So tonight's um, format's going to be a little different. We're not going to do what's on your workbench this evening. Um, we did that last time. So tonight we're going to be doing our hashtag not sponsored segment. Uh, we're going to talk about a few products and things that we're uh, particularly excited about. And then um, we're going to talk about the article that Mike Rose had just recently um, released in Model Railroad Hobbyist, and it's going to be um, a hoot nanny because it, it deals with developing a deep a, a scene with quite a bit of depth to it. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. So Mike Ostertag, how you feeling? I saw you went back, got a got a cough drop. Everything. I have no cough drops. You have no cough drops? Oh. No, but Joy had some lemon drops in her purse. so Just as good, I right? I confiscated those. Just as good. So anyways, late straggler here, Justin. Oh, I can't pronounce that name. Jankowskis? Justin Jankowskis. Hey, Justin. Welcome to the show. Can't wait to see more about this DuPont scene. So excellent. Um. Before we get uh, rolling on the next segment here, 
Um, I know that Mike Ostertag, um, we've been, you've been, do you have any, uh, any things for, for what's on or for, uh, the, the hashtag not sponsored this evening? I do, but I, I don't, I don't have it pulled up right now, but okay. right before the show, uh, James Wigan from Athern yeah. was giving his Train Tuesday little dealie that he does sure quite thing. often. And he does a great job with that. And uh, they announced, uh, I believe, a new run of the ACF 4600 three-bay covered hoppers, center yeah. flow covered hoppers. Yeah. And Western Pacific... Akron, Canton, and Youngstown. ACY. ACY. Nice. Um, oh, there's two other railroads in there too. That there, are, those are the two that stood out to me right off the top. Mm-hmm. But they're they just beautiful cars, you know, just yeah. gorgeous cars. And um, they also announced another another run of the trailer train, 89 foot, twin 45 piggyback flats oh really in like a kansas city southern uh and then ttx brown ttx yellow uh uh, i can't remember i can't just off the top of my off the top of my head i can't remember all of them but then they also were doing 45 foot trailers to go along with them sold separate sold separately or as a single as a car and a single trailer uh as a single trailer set the the flat car is a genesis car but the trailers are not their trailers are part of the athern line so hmm. you know so if when you buy the the car with the trailer on it it'll be in a genesis box but the trailer is not genesis type of thing you is know that, what i mean is that the ones with is that the 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 45 foot freyhoff trailer yeah yeah, they, they're doing Clipper. They're doing Trans America. I'm gonna. I have it set up here on. Do screen. you have Let's, it set up here? Yeah, it's gonna be right to Mike. Maybe right to Mike Rose's liking here. Yeah, this is Mike. This is kind of right up your alley. This 80s uh, era. Yeah, like, like mid 80s and and night, like even into the 90s. Um, they're doing uh, like I said, Trans America, uh, Clipper. And then uh, uh, we got Rio Grande here. It looks like no, those are from the previous run. Oh, that's from the previous run. Yeah, that's not the newest run. Those um, BN and no, there uh, it is, right there. Yeah. Yep. Should I, should I be seeing the pictures too? <laughs> Do I? Am, am I not? I only see a red screen and three little boxes of us. How's that? Now just a red screen. Interesting. Oh. Interesting, huh? Maybe maybe because I'm sharing my screen. Yeah, let me. Yeah, pull your screen back, and let's see if we can't get it sorted out here. Ah, there they are. Look at that. So the new the the new rely or the release of these trailers hmm. spans like a long time. But here's the big thing, right? They're doing this stuff. They're doing especially the 45 foot trailers. End scale guys, they're doing them in end scale. Yeah. And they're doing the, the flats in end scale. This is that it's one of those things that hasn't been done yet. Oh, Vermont Railway is another one of the covered hoppers. Yep. 
Um, and, but it, it was a really cool announcement. I, if I was an HO skill, which, you know, I'm, everybody is well aware I'm not, but if I was, <laughs> I would be, there were things in there where I'm like, okay, here, just take my money. You know, <laughs> here, Burlington here Northern, <laughs> yeah, Burlington Northern is a trailer. Yep. Uh, Clipper, uh, Transamerica, and then, uh, oh man, I can't remember what the fourth one was. So there was really the Golden Pig I saw in there. Yeah. Uh, that was on a different run. Uh, okay. this, this this newest run uh, is uh, four new road names, but it's it, just a really cool announcement. Really, really cool. Yeah. Something else to, uh, you know, that Atherton is doing really well. Um, they seem to have that piggyback flat deal kind of down, you know, but. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So that's what I've got. Okay. Mike, uh, Mike Rose, did you have anything that's been, I guess, uh, tickling your fancy as of late in terms of new products or or even old products that you really just are just in love with? The the only thing that just caught my eye was Bowser is, is uh, uh, mm. bringing out uh, the the DNH RS three M's, you know, which really are the only locomotive that I still need. You know, I really I need to sell some stuff, but you know. <laughs> don't, don't we all? Um, when, when I was at when I was at Neil Schofield's this weekend, I asked him how many uh, operating locos he had, you know, for his yeah. session. And I think he said he had like forty-five or forty-nine or something like that. Really? And Confalon um, has probably a few more than that, but you know, not that. Maybe you know, in the in the fifties, I think. Um, and I have one one hundred and forty five, which is probably too much. What? 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 <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. You have one hundred and forty five operating functional locomotives on your layout, give or take. Oh my god! <laughs> Plus or minus. Wow. But you know, it's in, in my defense. Um, DNH uh, always had a lot of locos on each, mm-hmm. on every train. So, you know, you need five or six of them really for, for a DNH train. And, you know, we might run, uh, you know, four or five different DNH trains. There's 25 locos right there. Yeah, right. <laughs> P&E has three locos. TMSL has one, <laughs> give or take. Yeah, um, I know. I love that, give or take. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, once you get locked into a serious Conrail collection, the tendency is to just take it all away, you know, so I don't yeah. have one uh, U23B, I have, you know, five. Right, right. <laughs> so these are these are pretty good looking uh, locomotives here. The D&H, though, they've always had a, a really awesome paint scheme. Right. Are, are now, they, for are, my era, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to, you know, paint out uh, on the long hood and put the big numbers. Okay. So I got a question then for you. Is, they did, so. is this bicentennial unit? Is that allowed on on your line? I never I've never been crazy about those. That might sound like sacrilege, but you know, I didn't I never liked the Conrail labor management stickers on the Dash 840Bs and I didn't even really like the Conrail quality slogan being the new name of the railroad. I'm kind of a purist in that regard. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, these are really, I mean, so I just, not to toot my own horn, but I'm going to, 
Um, I had I just picked up a bunch of Bowser uh, Chicago Northwestern C628s. I love I love Bowser's locomotives. Yes, yeah, it's a good product. They really are good, uh, high level detail and um, just I don't know. I, I like the oddball stuff that they they come out with too. I'll probably order mine unsounded and uh, and do the install myself. There you go. Because um, I always all my locos have power packs and mm. um, scale sound uh, speakers. Yeah. So uh, I find that if I'm if I'm doing my own install from scratch, I can pretty much make space for all of that. Um, yeah. Most most factory locomotives that are sounded will have a, a factory motherboard and a and a plug-in you know decoder mounted on it. And you know, a so-so speaker typically for most for most factory uh, uh, sounded units. So um, I have to upgrade that anyway, and I need to find a place for the power pack. So it's sometimes easier just for me to you know wire it myself. Yeah, exactly. So that's what those hundred and forty-five are. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So l- let me let me just uh, maybe. Does everyone have sound in them? Oh yeah. So all man, it must sound like thunder in your basement. Well, you could. so one of the things that we that we found is that you know if you let's say you're running by yourself on your layout, which which a lot of people I think you know, I don't I don't know if they do that you know, but the beginning of the pandemic, Confluence said, why aren't we running our our, our railroads? And I thought, yeah. Geez, you know. And um, it was it was actually a revelation for me because, you know, I was always geared around obsessions for five people come over and, yeah, and right. you know, you're, you're kind of orchestrating all of that, you know. Um, but running my layout myself by myself made me really understand each and every job and every aspect of it in a way that I never would have, I never would have done otherwise. Sure. And I found it really interesting to do. It took me like weeks and weeks to run through an entire cycle. Uh, but a lot of the things that I learned in the process of that uh, have become part of the regular operational scheme. So the way the scheme works is wherever we stop, that's where we start the next time. And the only thing that happens in between sessions is you restage a, a, a road train. And sure. So it means that prep for the op session is pretty minimal. Uh, that's important for me because I don't have a lot of time for busy work. You know, I know I know when Mike sees stages his layout, it probably takes him, you know, two to three hours just to play with the with the with the um, uh, the, the, the manifest. You know, the the, uh, the the card system that he uses. Yeah. And um, he at the time he did that, you know, I think he was very interested in um, in what was in the car where it was coming from and the routing and all that stuff. Um, and he has a card for inbound and a card for outbound and he's filing and all of this stuff. And I looked at all of that and thought that's, that's a clerk's job. Not what I'm interested (laughs) in doing. You know, So in my case, I'm using a double-sided way bill. There you go. And, um, uh, inbound and outbound and the, and the card travels with the car. If the car comes off and goes into an A-line box, card goes with it so i just you know i haven't lost too many cards I lost a few cars the best one was i think uh, i i lost a cn box car that we could not find and look everywhere we thought 
how do you lose a car, you know? And eventually we found it underneath in state, you know, like in a, in a, in a hidden piece of trackage, it had fallen off a train. And so I said to Dave, I said, okay, how did this car fall off a train? Yeah. And the train made it to staging and it rejoined itself. Maybe sure. re reconnected on a grade, you know, ran in and automatically recoupled. Because if sure. you get there and there's no caboose, you think, I think I'm missing part of my train. <laughs> so, but this car, this car was lost for weeks. Oh, man. Because <laughs> you don't think of a train being able to lose a car and still get to its destination. Very, very freak occurrence. Oh, my gosh. Did you, Mike, did you find that when you were running your jobs on your own, did you ever go down and say, this is a pain in the ass. Why do I, why am I, we got to change the way this job has worked. This something isn't right with this, this, or then you say, wow, why do I run this job when the way I'm doing it? Because there's really not enough to actually justify it being on there. We could do something different. Did you find yourself kind of revamping your operations a little bit after doing it by bit. yourself? A little bit. Um, more of it, I think, got revamped uh, when my buddy Dave started coming over again. Uh, he's he's a former professional uh, dispatcher. You know, he, he worked for, uh, in the Boston area for his whole career. He's retired now. But he knows a lot about ops. And um, he, he, I started out in the B&M. So, um, you know, we and we we debate things, you know, and, and just like the real railroads, They'd modify a job, they'd abolish a job, then they'd realize that didn't work and reinstate a job. I mean, this is a very common thing on, on the real railroads. The other thing is that traffic on, on, the, on my model railroad kind of goes in patterns organically on its own. I'm not really orchestrating much of anything. So sometimes you've got to run an extra. Mahoopin is short of cars, or Pittston's getting getting too full, or uh, there's too many cars in Taylor. We need to run a DNH train. You know what I mean? So we're kind of responding to um, traffic conditions in real time. Wow. Now, when, when I was operating the Kaiser Valley, I ran the Kaiser Valley for about roughly a year uh, with no scenery. And I just wanted to see how it was going to go. Um, and after operating it for a while, I realized that I needed to make the runaround longer and the tail track shorter in order to do that. Um, and, and, it, and that's the big change that I made there that really has paid a lot of dividends because if the runaround's not long enough and you have a uselessly long tail track, it's not it's going to impede uh, switching operations. Right. So things like that. Um, but but most of the layout was uh, pretty much intact before the addition. Remember, what I did was, in building the addition, I took sections of the existing railroad, moved them out into the addition, and then added connective tissue in between, which is a very kind of unorthodox way of, of having to do it. Connective, connective tissue. tissue. I that's, like that. That's a good term. There's a good term. <laughs> so, And I knew what I wanted to do in these interstitial spaces. So uh, that was kind of like based on the prototype in, in most of those cases. So a lot of the track arrangements are very prototypically based that's awesome that's cool man i think i think that's well i'm still trying to wrap my head around 145 locomotives man yeah I, that's, oh so you asked about the sound so i i 
I digress there. But um, what we so I what, what I began to say was, let's say you're switching the yard. You're the only guy in the room. It's nice to have a you know a, a, like a nice Jeep wind up that 567 and just enjoy it. You know what I mean? And and you probably right. want it at a decent volume for that. So I keep a yeah. few locos at that volume. But what we found was in off sessions, if your locos are too loud, it'll just drive you out of the room. It's just nuts. So we have incrementally lowered our volumes at the same time, leaving the horns up because we want horns that'll like, you know, peel <laughs> at 25 feet. So make, make your ears bleed. You stand at a grade crossing. That's what the horn does to you. Right. So, right. um, so we like loud horns. Uh, we like softer bells because the bell. I was going to ask. Do, so do you know, have operating? This, this is a terrible tangent, and I apologize for this. But during operating sessions, is there the one guy that just leaves the bell on the whole usually time? Yell at that guy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> see if I ever guy. showed up knowing. See if I ever showed up knowing that. I'd be that guy just because. We know guys like you. The last time Mike Mike Ostertag and I operated together at a layout, he he looked at me like, know. "I'm pushing the bell," and he just let it run the whole time. We um, uh, I got yelled at too. So. At, at the at the volume we we uh, have the bells at, they're they're pretty much not mm. non intrusive. Uh, in a couple of cases, I went a little too far with some of the in cap switches, and I need to boost them a little bit. But sure. it's a good problem to have. Yeah, amazing. So, so the answer is what you want is, is a situation where let's say you're you've got a yard switcher and a road freight arrives with three or four locos on it. You don't want that to just completely drown out the yard switcher so you don't even hear it, you know. Yeah. We're looking for a balance. Yeah, looking for a good balance. <laughs> if That's, you're selling ice cream. <laughs> yeah, a couple of good a couple of uh um, good, good comments coming in here on scale shenanigans. Uh, we, we asked those guys if they're selling ice cream, <laughs> split rock. I feel singled out now. F1 function forever. Um, that's really see. a day job. I think the next, the next one's pretty good too. This one here. <laughs> yeah. The Thomas cow's Chris, dead. <laughs> I tell my engineer, engineer trainees who leave it on. Cow's nice. dead. Let's see here. Oh, the bells. Um, but yeah. But that's good, good stuff there. Well, that's that's a cool, cool announcement, Mike. Uh, thanks for sharing that. I I saw him at Train Fest. I didn't even think twice about it either, too, to to stop by and and chat with them because they do make some cool stuff over at at Bowser. This was a long-awaited loco because it's not just a chopped nose iris three. You know, the hood, the six right. tire, and you know, I mean, it had to be right. I've seen and actually worked on uh, in the course of doing installs for other customers. Um, I guess somebody offered a resin shell for that. Hmm. And, um, it didn't look bad, but the last one that I worked on, I basically had to treat it as a kit because it just kind of fell apart while I worked on it. I had to sort oh. of rebuild it uh, oh. as I was putting it back together. So um, I think, a, you know, a high quality modern shell and good running mechanism is what we need. Yeah. Yeah, for It'll sure. The last loco that I buy. You believe that, right? Sure. <laughs> I'm going on record here. You can you, you can hold me. Sure. Through. Well, hold on. Oh, Let me write this oh, down. No, yeah, write it down <laughs> do right it. now. You do so, it. So, I, so this is time stamped. Also, you two, know that, Mike. Right? Two RS3Ms is all I'm going to get. 
two RS3Ms of what railroad? D&H. D&H. Okay. So, yeah, I know I knew D&H, but I mean, which 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 paint scheme? Uh, lightning stripe. The lightning stripe. Okay, remember, m- make sure those are that's detailed right, information. Andy, writing yep, that. I'm down. writing it. I'm okay. writing it down. Writing it down. Yep. I'm writing and down. as soon as we I'll see post pictures of him, it's a year away. And, but, yeah. and as soon as I see three of them in different numbers on his layout, <laughs> I am throwing the BS flag so quick. <laughs> I'm not ruling out another one appearing, but it won't be mine. Oh, okay. Guest loco. Yeah. Oh, guest, guest equipment. On, uh, on yeah, that's deep. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> that's oh, my wife would just love it if I said it was the last locomotive I was going to buy. But we'd all. Well, we'd I, all... I didn't even feel that way until I did an inventory recently and I thought, really, 145? Like, how did that even happen? Right? <laughs> how, over happened. what? Like, so they're in how, operation. How, how many years? Over over how many years? How long have I had 145 ready to go? Well, just how long did it take for you to accumulate that? To accumulate this, this wasn't an overnight deal. Some of these locos go, you know, way back. I don't have any more Atherton Blue Box or anything like that. But I've got, um, you know, I've got some like original run Cato SD40s. There you go. I'm trying to think what else would be that old. Those were a good that's a good engine. Those are very, good. very reliable engine. Very reliable mechanism. engine. Yep. And you know, you can't beat a good old Atlas GP38 or a GP40. You know, mm-hmm. the, you know nope. those were good engines. The U23B, good engine, you know. Yep. Um B23, great, you know, another great Atlas locomotive. I and mean, these tend to be favorites. Lately, I've been running a lot of end cab switchers too. Um I become a, like a modern fan of them, you know. A couple of a uh, couple of pups will, will will really pull on the on the locos going up the uh, the two percent grade there to Taylor. That's yeah. That's those uh, tend to be uh, uh, proto uh, SW twelve hundred chassis, and then you know whatever shell I need on it. I mean, and good chassis. I mean, you could really get into it though. Conrail had a fairly extensive rebuild program too, right? Right. So you could, I mean, didn't they have like the GP8s and what was Those, GP? Yeah, so I, 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 I had planned to build, I don't know if it's four or five of them, and I, and I built three, and I have two more like in various stages of assembly. Those don't count. Yeah. I already bought those. <laughs> what about what about? Didn't, didn't, so didn't Conrail have that GP12 program too? Or they, they no, that the, was uh, um, that was ICG. That was Illinois was Central. It? That was only where Conrail they had the GP10 and um, and GP8 and GP8. Oh, were they were they re where they put the EMD prime movers in the RS3s? That's different. That we typically call that the the DeWitt rebuild uh, program, and they had a couple of different hood styles. I have one of those. I converted an old uh, Atlas Cato RS3 into that. A little slippery. There's not much room under that hood once you put a whole sound installed in it. You know, so. you see wow. what we're doing here, don't you? Mike? I know. Yeah, you <laughs> I see do. what we're doing, right? We're, we're, trying, to, story, we're right? trying to get, we're trying to bait you into finding something that you need. <laughs> kind of trying to poke the barrel a little bit to yeah. see if there's something no. that you need. Or, or... I, I would, I would say it kind of took care of that in maybe about two years ago. I went on a just like a local building binge where I had stuff that had been in boxes forever you know yeah. and, and part of it i think was also i was in the process of kind of organizing and consolidating stuff that was all over the house 
all over the, the, the basement. And, it, and, you know, the model shop is, a, you know, a pretty, uh, pretty good sized room. And right. it's got shelving in every nook and cranny possible. So um, as I started to like rediscover this stuff, I'm talking about stuff that had been sitting in a drawer since the 90s, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, I decided to just kind of get some of that going because I wanted a little more variety um, in, in, the, in the motive power. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I got my railroads mixed up. Mopac had the GP12. Yeah, that's mm. right. Yep. Not yeah, very enough. good. Whatever. Good stuff, Mike. Um, so the I'll share my little um I guess hashtag not sponsored things that I found were cool. I have two of them this week, um, and one of them is gonna serve as an amazing segue into our, our main topic discussion this evening. So interesting. Yeah. Um, the first thing that I, I want to bring up is so there's a there's a company out there called Northwestern Models. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen here. Um, and they um, are, are a company that are big putting red out. Box. <laughs> well, you got the big red box again. Yep. Oh, hopefully, hopefully the folks on screen can see it. Mike Ostertag, you can see it, can you? Yes, I can. Okay. Must be something I'm doing, uh, making making Mike's life uh, a little tough over there. But the Northwest is interesting. Model. Be very descriptive. I'll, I'll I'll try to paint a word picture. Okay. So the Northwestern uh, models, um, they're, they're they focus on the 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 uh, Iron Range, uh, Minnesota, the D M and N and D M I R series uh, cars, and they've just released. A, a series of ore jennies um, that are, I believe, 3D printed, and they're in the U9, 10, and 11 series ore cars. Wow. And so this is the detail, the detail on a on a 3D printed ore car. They come as as a kit. They have Tishy brake wheels that are with them, laser printed three uh, laser printed um, decals that come with the kits. And you can see that for a, a resin kit or a, a 3D print kit, the, uh, the, the rivet detail is pretty pronounced. And um, the, the car looks pretty darn uh, good and, and true to the... For weight, Andy? Um, no, they, I, I don't have that right off the, the cuff here, Mike. Um, but they are, they are, um, they're, they're solid, basically 3D prints. So I'm going to guess that you'll have to, if you really want a substantial weight to them, you'll have to add some sort of load to them to get them to track pretty well. One of, one of the things we do is we tend to run heavy cars. We, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm probably twice in an MRA standard. So, yeah, so do I. I mean, and and that's uh, just from from my standpoint, uh, one for for tracking purposes. But then it, it goes back to that scale, right? Of uh, you the scale of a train. Yeah, you, you get a you get a really good feeling. Um, for it can for also the, make for a terrifying runaway. I just would point out. No, it yeah you, yeah you, hear you have that to gaining speed sound. It's like uh oh, <laughs> high yep. low strikes again. And and so I'm. I run iron ore on my layout and I actually use live loads with, with grout 
Um, and so that's even a scarier endeavor um, to have. Have you had any mishaps? I've had one, but it was, I was uncoupling the train and um, I knocked it over myself. So it wasn't, it wasn't anything to do with the track work. It had to do with my greasy meat hands um, fumbling the, the uncouple. Clean up on uh, aisle three. Yeah, clean up on nope. aisle three, and then, and then my second, my second, uh, I guess uh, hashtag not sponsored things that I'm I'm pretty excited about. A lot of people may know about this, but I feel like I should bring it up anyway. Uh, we've talked about publications before um, in the past here, but uh, Model Railroad Hobbyist um, is a free online uh, magazine that um, is out there that. Essentially, you can you can pick up and start reading today. They have um, quite an extensive web page here with a discussion forum, blogs, um, different types of community aspects to it, and then the the actual um, the magazines themselves. You can you can have uh, adverts right in there that you can essentially click on, and it'll take you right to the manufacturer, or the vendor's web page. So. Pretty cool uh, magazine in terms of, you know, keeping up with technology and, and being an online publication. It's been around for a while. So this is mainly for folks that are new to, to the hobby. But they also have a, a paid version, which I am a subscriber to, the Running Extra. And there's quite, um, I would say, quite a bit of value that you get for that $2.99 per, per month. Um, you know, there's there's handful of columnists that are in there, um, different, um, I guess, articles about scales and and methods on how to do things. I think Jim Six has a has a um, a column in there called the Limited Modeler, which is 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 a really interesting read as well. And and our guest this evening um, is also a, a columnist for Model Railroad Hobbyist and has has recently. Uh, published a article in our late in the latest uh, release here, um, and is that that's um, in the in the running extra this month? It's, it's funny, yeah. It's funny that you mentioned my old buddy Jim Six because I think it might have been his first column as as the limited modeler. Yeah, and, uh, and of course Jim's written like hundreds and hundreds of articles. I used to read his stuff in Craftsman back in the day. He did. He was a Conrail yeah. modeler, you know, and, and I, I have a couple of his ex-Conrail engines here, you know. That used yeah. To, but so he did this limited modeler column, and then uh, it was juxtaposed with my column where I was talking about my addition. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> The opposite. So one of the comments, because, you know, people can post comments, and he said, so I'm reading Jim Six's uh, article, you know, on the limited modeler, and then I read Mike Rose's, and it's like, hold my beer. <laughs> one of my favorite article comments of all time that's a little awesome. different approach and that's the other thing about mrh is is you can you can go back and leave comments of, about the article right right on their website too so that's kind of interesting to get that feedback from the readers like right I there you have to go check that thank you for reminding me yeah um, but Tom O'Connell uh, does have a, a question. Let's see here. It says, Mike Rose, do you uh, change any of the vendors' trucks or do you stick with what the model came with? Great question. It, honestly, it depends if they suck or not. Uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> if they do, they're gone. So 
Um, I have had problems with certain uh, with certain brands. Um, you know, on the one end of the scale, you've got a company like Tangent. You know, right? The model is just perfect. You weather it, and I cut off the trip pin, and you put it on the layout. You know, and and then others not not so much. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and I operate trains here. This stuff has to run. Right. And sometimes some there are certain brands that I don't know if it's the trucks. I don't know what the problem is. Sometimes adding weight helps, uh, but even when everything's engaged, they just don't work well. So um, sometimes uh, it's as simple as putting some Acurail trucks on there with the right wheel sets and away you go. I used to yeah. use a lot of, um, oh gosh, why am I drawing a blank here? The um, not, not the Intermountain wheel sets, but Reeboks, the ones okay. that have different, different uh, length axles. Um, I still have a bunch of those around, but those were great because they had an axle that fit anybody's truck. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes just yeah. putting good wheels on a on an otherwise normal plastic truck makes all the difference in, in the world. So I'll have a follow up there, Mike. So metal wheels for everything, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then do you standardize your couplers as well? Um, well, you could find KD5s on, on the layout. I you know, I mean, obviously, I use the, the semi-scale uh, version of the KDs. Yeah. All of the new newer cars have that. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was 20% of it, uh, original KDs out there. I haven't had any problems intermixing them. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. Not every, not every car, you know, is, a, uh, you know, cut levers and air hoses kind of kind of a car, you know. I try to make it so that anything new that goes on the layout has that. So let me ask. Okay, it's kind of along the line. You can ask me how many cars I have, aren't you? No, <laughs> no, no, because I don't want to know. It's a shameful number. Okay, well, <laughs> it's a completely indefensible number. Are we talking two grand? Are we talking two grand? At one time, uh, it was up to that. Oh, just, my God, uh, Mike. Just, well, but a lot, you know. In, in oh, my, man, my hero. Well, ah, <laughs> you can always sell them. You know what I mean? Yeah, so right. I, probably, I probably sold off a thousand cars, you know, over the yeah. last 10 years. Well, that's that's I kind of what my question is. A couple 300, I think. That's that's kind of along the lines of what my question is, is if you have a car that you just feel you no longer want, do you have a drawer full of KD5s and old trucks that oh this car's got nice trucks and nice couplers i'll take the couplers of trucks off and then put the older stuff on and then get rid of the car so that Usually way I have the this. car gets sold as is okay hmm. a-line boxes thomas <laughs> mm. yeah but yeah usually the car yeah almost every year usually in the winter you know, like after the holidays i'll call out Car, you know, uh, Chris Butts is a friend of mine, and he's like Mr. Freight Car, you know, and he takes great delight in pointing out which cars, because I backdate it, you know. <laughs> he takes great delight in pointing out which cars are no longer appropriate for, for my ear. <laughs> or, gee, did you know that car doesn't have a loop panel? You know, Chris is that kind of guy, but uh, sometimes you go on a, a loop panel we, party. We all have a friend yeah. like that. Yeah, I was just going to say. Well, Chris is the man when it comes to freight car knowledge. I mean, he, yeah. he he consults with manufacturers all the time, and he's he's one of those guys. You know, like one of the top three guys in that. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's really good. <laughs> oh, so, hey, by the way, it's a mixed blessing. <laughs> Split Rock. We all have that friend. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, true. And then, um, so there is a question that Mike is it blue tubs? Do you keep your all your stuff in blue tubs? A line boxes. A line boxes. Okay. I, I built these uh, wooden roll around carts that yeah. take um, like 16, I think, A line boxes per cart, and they fit yeah. wow. under the railroad, you know, so it enables you to roll them in and out and, and do what yeah. you need to do. But, you know, until you have your layout like fully fleshed out and start operating it, you don't really know what the car count is that you actually need to operate, right? Right. So on a big layout, believe it or not, you don't need to change out cars as much as you do on a small layout because on a small layout, you see the same cars all the time. Mm -hmm. So that might bother you and it might not, but I like some natural variety. Um, But what I'm finding is like, I think on the layout right now is probably... I'm going to take a stab and say 320, 320 cars, approximately. Um, that's not that, horrible. That's that's respectable. No, it, no it's right. So that includes cars at the Consignees, mm-hmm. cars on trains and staging, period. Now, um, that means that they're not all visible at the same time. And not every industry gets switched out in every obsession. So you might not see a car for six weeks, two months, by that time, I don't know about you. I, I can't remember, you know, seeing that car two months ago. It's a car, you know what I mean? It's right. one car. Yeah. So you might there might be one or two signature standout cars that, if if that's how it hits you, they might take that car off the layout for a little bit and then you know put it back on a couple of months later because I, I don't want to necessarily have have that standout car popping up all the time. Just wouldn't be wouldn't feel right. realistic to me, you know. Um, but what I'm finding is that we've got a lot of boxcar traffic. We've got a lot of covered hopper traffic. And, you know, they no two of them look alike. But I'm looking for, you know, the feel of the prototypical train as opposed yeah. to, yeah. you know, I, like when I was modeling the 90s, there were a lot of, you know, rolling wrecks that were very interesting to me. And, um you don't want a high percentage of those cars in, in your train. And a lot, some of those cars that I did are just not era appropriate for me. So uh, I'm kind of cheating a little bit, but some, you know, a lot of them had a lot of work that went into them and their article cars and hate to part with them, you know. Do you have all the, do you have all the original boxes still for all the cars? I tried doing that for a while and then thought, yeah, that's not happening. (laughs) (laughs) That's not happening. There was a question that, that was a question I asked as to whether or not, people keep their boxes from their original I I made an attempt at that because, you know, because I was selling stuff a lot too, you know, so I tried to keep a few of each type of of box, you know Um, and then I realized it's not that important because everything that I sell I wrap in bubble wrap and it's actually better than manufacturer's packaging for shipping stuff. Never had a broken freight car being shipped that way. Yeah, That's cool. That's good. So it's kind of a non-issue. So because it was a, it was an easy thing to purge. Well, they suck up a lot of space too, don't they? A lot they? of I space, mean, like a exactly. lot of space, more than the car itself, obviously. You know, right? So right. It just gets ridiculous after a while. So the only thing that's in boxes are, you know, new stuff that I haven't built or sold. Gotcha. On my web page, there's a whole section that has personal freight cars that I haven't built. Mm. Oh, jeez, so, Mike. Mike, would you do us the honor? What is the web page that you have out there? MRHobby, H-O-B-B-Y.com. 
mrhobby.com. Yep. And I made sure that I took pictures of each car. These are like all one of a kind. I just, they didn't fit my era or they weren't their welcome or, or whatever, but they're all, you know, it's, it's all good stuff. Yeah, and I'll bring that up on screen here just real quick so everyone can take a quick peek at that. Let's see here, MR Hobby. I think I should have that up there. I'll take your word for it. It's there. Jeez, oh, I can't. I can't. I don't understand why he can't see this stuff. Red box. Yeah, he he just gets the red box tonight. We've the the second time guests on the show get get the the red box. Oh, um, see, we're but, playing we're playing that game, eh? I, yeah. I have I have seen the website, so I'm good. Yeah, he he knows what it's all about. Um, but it's it's uh, got different types of services and and products out here and. Let me see here. Modeling info techniques, concrete booths. If you yeah, if you look over in the left, there's a, there should be four or five personal this and personal that. And personal just, freight yeah. cars. That's right. The undecorateds, intermodal. Um, so it looks like here, new in box cars. Look at this. Oh my. Wow. Some Athern, some Atlas. So I'll be adding more to that probably. Like I said, after after the box holidays, when we get models. some time. Ooh, there's some some juicy deals out here, Mike. That's for sure. Excellent. So make sure um, if you're if you're in the market for uh, some some um, <laughs> some box cars or or some covered hoppers, uh, check out uh, in HO scale. Check out MR Hobby on the on on the personalized freight cars and and see if something fits your fancy. No commission will go to the second section podcast. Just to, and, and just to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> just just to be fair. Fantastic. So Mike, I want to I want to talk about this this art the latest article that that you had out in, in MRH. And it really was a was an interesting take on what to do with a awkward space in your in your layout room. So why don't you, um, I guess, set the scene for us here on? Um, should, should we pop up some pictures and? Yeah, let's let's do a little uh, walkthrough um, of some pictures, and um, essentially let's let's talk about how you tackled um, this really odd space, and and then to make it look. Um, so if if anyone here in the chat um, or or the, um, let me see, can you see that now, Mike? Well, I could see it in my other monitor, so that'll, there you go. that'll work. Now, otherwise, I'm getting a red box. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see here. How about that? Big red box. Big. Now you got a bigger red box. Okay. <laughs> so, so take us through um, the picture that you have up here. So we're looking right. at the. And I, uh, these are these are pictures um, from from the article, but here you'll have the benefit of a little bit of narration, which which might be helpful. Um, if you look, can you guys see when I uh, do you see my cursor moving? Yeah, I can yep. see that. Okay, good. So this opening here used to be uh, a people door entrance to what used to be my office into the basement from the outside. And this wall that you see here was an outside wall of the house. So you can see how the addition was sort of added on here. And you're standing in the addition looking through the people the former people door opening into the original train room so 
these two tracks here are the Conrail um, Lehigh line coming from DuPont. Um, right here is probably the tip of, I think, the DuPont Bridge. Um, hmm. So DuPont exists almost entirely in the original train room. And you can see that I'm starting to sort of cobble together a, a hillside here because really you don't want to be seeing DuPont uh, from this vantage point. So this will act as a kind of a view block. Oh, and wow. the Conrail main line comes down along here. There's a set of double crossovers. This is CPYG on the prototype, and this would have been signaled back in the day. And Pittston Junction is, I'm basically standing adjacent to Pittston Junction. You'll also see that there's another track here that goes down into this sort of trough, and it actually goes underneath the Conrail main line on this viaduct here. You'll see a little bit more of that later. This wow. is Taylor Secondary, and it too goes through this opening, curves around, and comes back to Taylor Yard on the other side over here. Amazing. Underneath is, um, this is Sayer Staging. There's four tracks here that are about, I don't know, maybe 20 feet long. It's okay. That's it's well, you know, like a train line. Substantial. And, and, it, and it curves around. And then underneath here, believe it or not, um, is uh, Binghamton Staging, another four-track yard of similar length. So this is all what needed to be done to get uh, the Conrail main line intact again. Uh, Pittston Yard is way over on the left and came out of that room. Um, all of this new bench work and staging was created to kind of service the layup. And what was left was this sort of odd-shaped space here. You can see a snow shovel kind of propped up mm -hmm. along the wall here. And this is actually the innards of the, of the, of the wall of the original outside house wall. And you can see the foundation right there. Um, so I, you know, really I was in, I was in, obviously as a first priority, I wanted to get the layout running again. And, um, and that's what stage it is at this point. And I had just finished the DuPont scene in the other room. So it was time to just kind of continue along this way. So I began to use my preferred pieces of green floral foam yeah. to start to rough in the, um, the scene and try to picture how it was going to be and I had no trouble with this immediate area, but looking at this area back here, I just kind of scratched my head for a while. So that's kind of my starting point. At this point, you can see we're farther along. The hillside yeah. itself is basically created. And in modern times, I make no effort to smooth out the joints between the foam pieces. I just paint it, hit it with some real dirt and it becomes the, uh, the vehicle for planting all of my trees because sure. it's because it's floral foam you can plant the super trees in it without any difficulty so this is the Durea viaduct that I talked about this is modeled to almost exact size um, based on a lot of measurements that I do that I took from Google Earth uh, it's a little bit inaccessible from uh, on, on the prototype uh, but this is a very common, structure that uh, Lehigh Valley used for crossing other tracks, usually from other railroads at, at, a, at a skew. So it's an interesting uh, piece of construction. I actually enjoyed the hell out of building that. That's kind a of, lot of 
lot of plastruct uh, and uh, microengineering pieces in there. That's a really cool looking bridge. Yeah. yeah. It's a... And I also used, I think, Central Valley ties uh, uh, here um, on the bridge itself. It was the first time I had done that. So you can see down below the Taylor Secondary, how it, how it comes underneath. Uh, ah. And I had, to, I had to do some serious grade work here in order to bring all of this about because this Conrail track had to be sufficiently high to cross this Conrail track here. But you can see it dips. Mm. Dips in order to get under the DNH at DuPont. So I mean, there's some, there's definitely some, uh, some undulations there. This turnout here is Durea Junction, and you come off the Conrail Main Line and you head either here into Avoca Yard, and that's all yep. PE stuff, or you can go straight on this track, and that gets you to the uh, Kerr McGee uh, Future. Uh, super fun site. Uh, it's really a uh, creosote uh, type type plant. Super fun. That's a. I, I actually used that uh, term today in talking about my neighbor's house. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> but at Mike, I, can we go back just a oh, second? Sure. I apologize. Yep. There's a couple no, of questions no from the chat. I wanted to make sure that we got in here. Um, so. The the first one's. Oh, from where do I get my floral foam? I saw that yeah. out of my eye. Yeah. Uh, a lot of my initial floral foam I bought on sale uh, at uh, EC Moore before they <laughs> went out of business. But they, they would always have coupons and um, you could buy it at half price. So it was maybe seven bucks a piece. And um, I would sometimes uh, get friends to come with me. I would get my wife to come with me and they'd each be standing there in line, you know, uh, with their little coupon buying foam on sale. <laughs> Not the most practical way of doing it, but I really didn't have any other way at that time. Eventually, I became such a bulk user of foam that I opened an account with a floral supplier in a nearby city. And it turns out um, I'm able to buy the foam there at a, at a very good price, like less than, uh, less than from on sale at E.C. Moore or Michaels. And their customer service is stunningly good. It's like I enjoy going there. It's a wonderful yeah. To do business with. Um, so I buy it in bulk. Usually it's a, a, a big box of it. Um, although I suppose I could walk in there and buy one piece, but what's the point? Does it come like in a two foot by four foot sheet or does it, is it just random sizes or how does it um, come? It's a one by three. Oh, one by three. Yep. So um, I think it's, well, the way I buy it, I think it's probably less. So this is, this is basically styrofoam open cell foam that's green uh, which makes it much easier to color and cover um, standard uh, building foam which you're going to see later in this presentation is closed cell and has its applications but it's much harder to plant trees in you have to basically make a hole in it to plant a tree so <laughs> i have some i have some handy here um but yeah, this is what he's talking about. So you can see the the porous structure, this open cell uh, versus uh, like the the pink for the blue foam. That's um, you know that that closed cell, and you can see how it it's easily shaped, right? So well, we, you can see how many trees that you're using on a hillside. Yeah. So uh, if you had to like make a hole, I mean, I'm 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 above the forty five hundred. Uh, 
tree mark at this point in terms of building trees and installing. So if you have to make 4,500 holes with a tool to plant the trees, um, you know, it get it would get tedious. I uh, I think so. It by is. by using this stuff, you just stick it in the foam, and then if the you, if it's not in the right place, you just pull it out and stick it in a slightly different place. Um, it's just easy to work with. I mean, you're basically doing what it was designed for. And, right. and you can st- you can still use like a hot wire cutter to form it and everything else like that. I wouldn't. Uh, the hot wire cutters are better on open cell foam. I use standard woodworking tools uh, for cutting this foam. Um, one of my favorite, believe it or not, is a, uh, a reciprocating saw, uh, a coarse reciprocating saw blade, like a, like a sawzall blade, uh, held with a pair of smaller vice grips. <laughs> and oh, I, can, wow. I, can, I, can, <laughs> I can cut whatever I want with that. And my new favorite tool for final shaping is a refill replacement blade uh, for a surform plane. And I just, yeah. use, I just use the blade. And in, in a, a minute, I can contour something the way I want. Um, it makes a lot of uh, particles, but it also cleans up very easy. So you always have the shop vac handy. And I cut as much of it and shape as much of it in the workshop. Uh, curved pieces, I'll cut on my bandsaw. If I'm cutting long strips of it, I'll run it through the table saw. I mean, I just use all standard woodworking tools on it. And sometimes I'll just use a, uh, um, you know, like a linoleum knife, you know, one of those kind of hooked, curved. Uh, uh, yeah, right. Knives. Oh, yeah. All kinds of things uh, work with it. It's very, very versatile. Yeah. You can also uh, see I use different thicknesses. So up on the hillside here. Yeah. Um, I've got a three inch thick piece. These are all two inch. Here's a one inch piece because it just happened to work. So it's nice to have different thicknesses of it. Uh, in terms of taking rock molds, I saw that out of the corner of my eye. Yes. I, I don't use um, uh, plaster rock molds, but I don't see any reason why it wouldn't work on this foam. Uh, I would apply it before adding paint and dirt. Uh, I tend to use... Um, Cripple bush uh, rock castings, which I think are really, really nice. And I can get much bigger ones and I can bond it to the foam with my standard uh, construction uh, adhesive that I like to use. Uh, my preferred uh, bonding agent for this foam is DAP uh, Heavy Duty Max. Hmm. Uh, it's very hard to find, but it's worth it. And I always I buy it by the case. So just to get to Otter Creek's uh, question here, so this these are plaster rock molds uh, behind me here. I use okay. I use the green uh, foam, the florist foam as well for for my terrain, and um, they they take they take the rock molds uh, pretty well. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, of, Andy, that looks like a confluent green fascia you've got there. It it, it is it it is yep, it is a, a nice hunter green type fascia so let you'll me get see that back. eventually here <laughs> let's get let's get back to to mike here and 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 his progress here so in our next uh photo you can see the trees are starting to creep down the mountain here uh you can see that i've drawn in uh main street uh which is coming off of the plywood here Pits, basically i'm taking this this picture i think i'm like on Pittston Junction, or maybe standing right behind it. 
Um, so you can see how this track descends here, the Taylor secondary. And um, there's a couple of houses here. So it's clear that any of the houses that are going to be all along this road from the point of this wall backwards here, it's going to have to be a photo backdrop. That's the one that Mike Contalone just finished uh, producing for me. So mm. I'll be sending that off to be printed. And then that will allow me to continue to complete uh, the Pittston Junction area. I like to go from the, you know, from the wall out. Um, so that's what's going on here. And that's the aisle view oh. of, the, of the same scene. So I do a lot of uh, either putting actual buildings in place or even using cardboard mock-ups because I'm just trying to get it in my head so that I can build it. Once I can see it, then I know I can build it. I'm so, also, I guess, in the process of building some fascia along in here too. You can see this, these, uh, these bar clamps that are holding it in place while the adhesive sets. So what are we looking at in terms of the dimensions here on, on the space that you're trying to fill? So it, it looks like like the the how how deep from the front of the fascia to to the back of the backdrop is is where you're what you have to fill here from right here by the bar clamp yeah yeah to this corner has got to be 10 feet holy cow oh my gosh okay so <laughs> so you can see that you're not working on it from the aisle first of all and that's something to keep in mind so yeah. you, see the, you see the pad down here yep I did the dirty crawl under there about a thousand times, you know, going, <laughs> going back and forth. Oh my gosh. That keeps you fit though. That's uh, for just, sure. Just hurts. It just, it's just pain it's now. It's just pain. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a little more of a close up. So there's the curved linoleum knife that I was talking about earlier. There you go. Um, the level here is to give me some sense of my grade because even this foam is not so let's see if i can explain what's going on here on the prototype this track is more or less level in this area and it's very close to street level which is more or less level and the conrail lehigh line is going up hmm. on the model i'm forcing some perspective on that because this is relatively flat as is this and this is going down so i don't know if that sounds like word salad but basically i'm kind of doing the opposite of the way it is on the prototype it's just what i had to do to, to make it work modeler's license right i think that's what what we always say right yeah if somebody wants to come out here and start checking the grades i'll just say well you're in, you're in the wrong place <laughs> and sometimes we break out the big level but you we go. also see uh, in the rear is a big piece of closed cell foam. This is uh, this is half inch um, green foam that I can get at Lowe's. Yeah. And um, what I'm trying to do at this point is get it to fit that spot. <laughs> so it wasn't the it, it wasn't the easiest thing to figure out what the exact dimensions of it needed to be because it also needed to raise up. If it was simply flat. You know, it would have been one dimension. You know, you measure this three sides and you and you cut it. But I was trying to see, obviously, this is way higher than it's going to be. But I was trying to trying to get a feel for um, how it was going to look as a hillside backdrop to the spot. Now, if you look down below here, see the the uh, printed picture. Yes, that is from uh, 
Google Earth. Okay. You see this little red roof here? Can you see that? Yeah. Yeah. That's Duria Auto Parts, and this is their junkyard. Holy cow. So I decided to fill this space just the way it was on the prototype with an automotive junkyard. <laughs> you can see that the road now is drawn in here in curves. See it taking the bend? Yep. And that road has to go down and somehow disappear. So all of these are scenic problems to solve. So now I'm looking at it at this, at this angle and I'm thinking, that's about right in terms of the, the hillside elevation that I'm looking for. You can see it's just kind of like a gentle, a gentle curve going up. And, and again, I'm trying to do it to maintain the feel of what I have seen both in person just standing there and also in the prototype pictures that you can get off of Google Maps and, and Google Earth. Um, you can see that I'm, I'm always drawing in here. So you see these little marks are the house locations and uh, I'm planning on doing some trees in this area. Here's the um, scrapyard in here and where that building is going to go and this will be a, a paved road. The other thing about this section is the ceiling slopes down here too. So it's okay. a really weird spot. Uh, so here, this is sort of my, this is how wide I like to make my roads and I'm using it to help me draw the lines. Here you're seeing I'm using yet another kind of a saw to cut the foam. Sharpies everywhere. There's my caulking gun for the adhesives. I use these little weights to, to weight things down to get them to do what I want while, while I'm picturing things. A lot of put it in place, crawl back out, look at it, scratch my chin, go, and then, you know, go back underneath and do something else. So great deal of that kind of stuff goes into this. At this point, I've done the dirty crawl, and I'm looking back <laughs> out from, from, from that corner. So it's really the opposite perspective. And what, what, oh my you're, gosh. what you're seeing over on this side, this is, this is a very revealing photo. So this is the outside door coming in from the driveway. Um, this is the partition on the other side of which is Pittston Yard. This is the partition on the other side of which is Taylor Yard. And this area here is the future Kaiser Valley Industrial Park. Ooh. So this is a really, really, really early photo. Everything is different here now. Yeah. So Just a little different perspective. So um, you can see that I'm trying to figure out how am I going to build this road? I need to do something here where I can actually work on the road, but I need to be here to do it. But then how do I do that if this is in place? So I'm, I'm, I'm coming up with a concept of I think I have to make this not in place and then bring it here and put it there. And that's what I ended up uh, doing. Any questions about this one before I move on? Yeah, I was I I, I was gonna uh, mumble something out here. So going back to your to your process, right? Um, so it it looks like you you do a lot of the the rough planning out, and then you say you you kind of you hem and haw over it and and place things around. How like before you, <clears throat> or should I say, do you ever like set the requirements in stone? And then just go to work, or is it a constant 
uh, state of flux, you know, but, you know, kind of looking at things after you set it up, you start the process a little bit and then you keep kind of evolving the plan as it goes or are you set it? It's a lot more the second. I mean, obviously you, you have to have a plan of attack, something to aim for or at. Um, but you've got to be flexible because as you get into any kind of a, I'm, I'm a project manager by trade. Sure. I don't care. I don't care what the project is. If you try to plan it out like the D-Day invasion and think you're not going to have any deviation on that project, you're just mistaken. Exactly. Things, things, no matter how much planning, things are going to come up, even opportunities that you hadn't uh, previously thought of that you want to take advantage of. So, this 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 is a real iterative approach for this particular uh, scene because it's such a weird place. Mm-hmm. And usually, you know, we're used to working in arms uh, arms depth scenes for the most part on on yeah. railroads. It's rare that you have the opportunity to do a full depth scene like this. So uh, I was in, I was inventing a lot of things as I as I go along on this one. It's amazing. You know the thing is the thing that everybody's. And I'm not sure if you mentioned this before, but it's it's blatantly obvious if you haven't, if anybody hasn't picked up on it yet. But this is just a scenery element. That's right. all that that's all that this is, right, Mike? It's just right. a scenery element, just to fill that space. And so we're not even talking track work or anything else like that. We're talking basic, pers- you know, perspective, scenic perspective stuff, right? Correct. You can you can see in this shot how that how that ceiling kind of slopes down here. Yeah, because the addition was a very unusual construction to uh, the dirty crawl. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, Producer just loves it, that. It's gonna it's <laughs> going to be a t-shirt, I think. Yeah, the dirty crawl is going to be dirty a crawl. It certainly should be. Um, so at the from from this perspective, um, you can see that the Sear staging yard is a curved yard and comes all the way down. So that's how you get your roughly 20 feet of, of track space there. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of see the relationships now between all of this stuff, right? This is, this track here is, is um, heading down and loops around and goes into DNH yeah. staging behind here. And this is the track that comes into the Kaiser Valley. And this is where the coal uh, truck dot dump is and the plastic facility that I just built is in this area. You may have recognized some of these things from seeing them in recent uh, uh, postings on the podcast group. Yes. But I'm looking yeah. at this now, not only from standing close to it, but also standing farther back just to make sure that, that it's just hitting me right. And I think I may have ended up adjusting this curve a little bit down. It looks a little bit high as compared to how I ended up building it. Wow. So at this point now, I've realized that I can cut this um, closed cell phone and the road is going to be built on a, on a removable piece that has not been installed here yet. It, when I say removable, I mean, it, it'll stay. This is removable. But right now it, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm building with some rabbits so it can fit into these spots and not just fall through. And there's the rabbit that I cut, which oh, that's will accommodate. Cool. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, that'll accommodate the closed cell removable piece of foam. So you can see how the road is kind of drawn drawn in here. It's just temporarily clamped in place. 
So there, so there's the piece now filling all that in. So you notice that there's an opening back here. That's deliberate. Um, there is a, a heat uh, radiator underneath, and I wanted to be able to let heat, you know, coming up and out of that space, but also just kind of have access back there, you know, because right. um, I, I figured that I would, I would basically screen all of that out uh, with a tree line. But you'll see. Hmm. So I decided on these three houses, and these were all built by uh, Rich Cobb to uh, specific prototypes from the area. And here, I'm starting to add some foam along the back edge of that removable piece because this is where I'll be inserting some trees. Hmm. So I'm using my Dynagrip Max and some weights just to hold it in in 10 minutes, that'll be good to go. Yeah. Question from the from the group here. Uh, says, Mike, have you ever built scenery at the workbench on this foam and then dropped it into place? That is precisely what we're about to show you here. Oh, man. Foreshadowing. Here we go. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. <laughs> He's not fooling me. He read the article. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what I did over on the right here was I just built a little plywood shelf out of some out of some uh, leftover layout scraps, and that's what, what's going to hold up the, uh, nice. the back, uh, or, or I guess one side of the closed cell foam. And then I used some camo olive green um, to do some dithering along the wall, which is what I prefer to do behind rows of trees. So you're not just seeing, you know, bright blue. Yeah. And that, that works great actually. Here I'm doing some actual planning on the foam piece. I'm trying to figure out where the dirt roads need to be, what relationships uh, of the cars and the shrubs to one another. And uh, again, this kind of planning just helps me to picture it in my own mind and then build it. So try it in place. You can see that there's the piece that we just glued. I tried a, a tree in place. Yup, the dither's at the right height. And basically just seat of the pants, but I, I, you know, been doing it enough that I kind of guessed right. And um, trying to see, you know, I've drawn in the dimensions of the, of the building, um, some junk cars, and just trying to again, get a, a, a sense of, of how the scene is going to evolve. Sure. There's the opposite angle view of that. No, with those cars, Mike, you didn't use any forced perspective or anything like that where you used like smaller cars towards the back and making them bigger and the coming towards I mean, the front. I, I, I didn't think there was a, a sufficient disparity front to back to justify going to uh, end scale. Um, so there really wasn't much to choose from in terms of a somewhat smaller than HO scale for that. So, right. Short answer no. <laughs> Here's a picture of the actual building. This is Duria Auto Parts. In fact, you can kind of see the sign a little bit right here. Uh, this is from uh, Google Maps. Um, and what I'm trying to do, this looks like a podcast. Oh, I'm just post posting up Heath's comment there. Ah, looks okay. like a podcast. I'm going to need to go back and watch. Oh, yeah, you're definitely going to want to see the, uh, the the pictures. That's kind of the point. Um, 
So what I'm doing here is I'm trying to begin kit bashing what is going to be the structure itself, basically using stuff from the scrap box. Really? What was Windows. that? Okay. So what I did was if I look, you know, if you look, I'm going to go back a couple. So I looked at the windows and you see how they're sort of greened out yeah. with, with reddish panes. So that's basically what I'm trying to replicate here. Ooh. And I just kind of dry brushed some zinc chromate primer to get that, that, um, that reddish mullion effect. So here the building is starting to take shape. Um, this is from some Walther's uh, something or other that's heavily modified. Uh, <laughs> in the here, old brick building. <laughs> yeah, you, you can see how, how this piece is different from that piece, which yeah. is different from that piece. This is probably just brick sheet. And there's some, just some, uh, this I is love the ABS in here. So uh, again, it's all, it's all out of, you know, what's, what's on hand. But again, I'm trying to create the feel of the prototype. So with a coat of paint, you got to try it in place, and yeah. it's starting to look right. Looks a little better with the windows and the and the metal roofing in place. Wow, that's really close to the prototype, if it's not spot on. It's pretty close. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I have three windows in my doors instead of two. I'm not going to worry about that. No, this is really good. There's a big girder assembly behind the building that was probably the skeleton of either a building they were going to build or a building that the sheathing, you know, got blown off of it or who yeah, knows. Right. Um, and I just fabricated that uh, right out of just on hand uh, plastruct uh, and, and uh, evergreen parts, just using a lot of girders. I like using these magnet boards and, and one, two, three yeah. blocks because it enables you to work quickly and uh, and get it nice and square. Mike, I got a quick question for you about the one, two, three blocks. Yep. Where did, where did you pick yours up at? Amazon. Amazon. There you yep. go. So now it's really starting to take shape. These are the legs. So mm -hmm. in other words, this is the roof that's flat down on the plate. And there's the finished product there you go almost finished you'll see hmm. but that's where it goes what is this do you remember what the prototype looked like no i don't <laughs> i do <laughs> i don't i i do because i read the article <laughs> there you go <laughs> prototype hold the car on the prototype it's a nash rambler but um, I couldn't find one, although oh, uh, cool. one of my editors from the uh, magazine uh, sent me some links to um, uh, 3D printed Shapeways versions of it. So the bug is going to get swapped out at some point, I think. That's that's really cool. But in this uh, hazy and this uh, blurry photo, you can see the girder assembly, and there's the Nash Rambler up there. See it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so there we go. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So here, I'm really starting to, you can see how there's a lot of crossed out lines because I kind of changed yep. the orientation of this stuff. 
But now we're starting to really start to plan this out in, uh, in earnest. And I'm checking my levels. So you can see that this foam is not level, but the sites for the houses needed to be because houses on a hill side are never crooked. So I have to level out these spots for the houses by carving into the foam. Does that make sense? Yeah. So basically that would you hit it with the, the sure the sure form plane? Yeah, something like that. Actually, like that. So, sometimes when it's not much, I just turn on the um, shop vac and use the nozzle to scrape it, and it just goes right into the into the tube, so it's not messy that way. Where did you get that level from? I've never seen one like that before. You know, that's a good question. It's probably in my dad's toolbox. <laughs> right? Might have been my grandfather's. You never know. So now the girders are painted <clears throat> and um, again, constantly trying stuff in place, trying different angles, making sure it looks right to me, making any minor corrections that need to be made before I take the um, closed cell piece of foam into the workshop and getting ready to actually build the junkyard scene. So I put down tarps over my table saw. It's the biggest flat area I have left because most of the basement is filled with layout you can't really that you can't really work on anymore so the workshop really came in handy for this yeah and now i'm adding some more scraps of green foam to represent the slightly elevated areas this is still going to be like the rear junkyard back here and the weights are just holding it down while while the the glue sets paint and dirt it's your friend mm. very very yeah. easy um and very, very quick. And when you put a fan on it, it dries fast. There's the houses in their leveled spots. Not even sure what this is a picture of. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back to this, um, as you can see here now, I've just put down some, uh, some static grass in the appropriate areas. That always makes the scene begin to come to life. Yeah. And the roads are, are also been put in. I use a, a custom grout mixture that uh, Mike Confalone mixed up for me. He mixed a big tube, tub of it up for me that I thought would last me several lifetimes, and I've almost used it all up. Oh, my gosh. It's just great for roads. I think he used four different colors of grout to mix it. Yeah, I love using grout for... It's just the right gravel. stuff. Yeah, it's just the right... You put it down, roll it, and mist it with, uh, with isopropyl, and yes. it dries hard. Couldn't be yeah. easier. That's what I was doing right before the show. Ah. You'll see the pictures later on the on crew call. Awesome. Now we're starting to try some cars in place. And I decided very early that everything that went onto this module had to be bonded in place. And I'm really glad I did that because it's so big that with everything on it, it wouldn't fit through a doorway. So I had to be able to basically stand it up. So if I, if I hadn't bonded everything in place, everything would have just fallen off like the cars. <laughs> so here now I'm starting to add a lot more shrubbery material between the cars. Yep. Adding that looks more, really more cool. trees in the back. Yeah, this is really starting. It's, That's, it's That looks really cool. <laughs> just how it started from a piece of foam. Right. It's right. amazing. More shrubbery, more grasses of different lengths. And at this point, is it still relatively lightweight? Oh, yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. Um, you need a lot of trees when you're doing my, my area of Pennsylvania. So this is just yeah. me making trees and making shrubbery. Um, used to be a wood shop, but right now it's a scenery production area. I got a. Can I can I ask a couple questions here, sure. Mike? Um, so when you go, do you do you make trees just for the scene, or do you make you know a few extras if you're in the mood, or is because it it seems like you're the master of the super tree, um, and because you have thou thousands of them on your layout, like how to north I'm, north of forty five hundred? It seems like yeah, a lot. Yeah. Uh, like a box like this here, this is about 60 trees. Wow. But you can see the box isn't huge. So that's how many trees it takes to cover that number of square inches. It could be a little demoralizing at times. Um, so the answer to that is yes, yes, and yes. Um, okay. Sometimes I make trees for a scene because I know I'm going to need them. Sometimes I'm making trees to have because I, I want to have them when I'm ready to use them, but there's also a limit to how many trees you can build fully in advance because they take up a lot of room and how do you yeah, store right. them? They are stupid. They are super trees. Yep. Um, so what I try to have going into the winter is a lot of painted armatures picked, mm. picked and, and painted. Um, Cause I like to paint them outside and then that way I can make them inside all winter. So I've got about sure. 140 something painted armatures uh, in stock right now. It's not really enough. I need to do one more picking and painting session before the weather really closes in. Any other tree questions while I'm here? Yeah. Um, so those are, are they all super trees or, or do you have a, a super secret method with cheap materials? So yeah, I, or, I, I wish no air. They're all super trees. Okay. Yeah, this is, it just, it, it's amazing how, how quickly or I guess how efficiently you, you put together a box of super trees. Cause that's the one thing I'm uh, doing a Northern, you know, Wisconsin, upper Michigan. It's going to be trees. Michigan. It's going to be trees everywhere. And I'm trying to figure out how, uh, how do I mass produce trees the level of realism like you have them here. We can talk about that a little bit. And in fact, there's, there's one picture I'd like to show you if I can find yeah. it at the end of this that's not in the article. So I'll just have to poke around a little bit. But sure. it, it's a it's a picture that shows like the depth of the forest and in a big section of the layout. And I think it'll convey the <laughs> it'll convey the scope and scale of it. So here's the junkyard pretty well fleshed out here yeah that looks uh, really good i like that the um the, the big trees in back are going to go up against the dithering on the wall and um i think at this point i'm the cars have been dull coated you know so they don't yeah. have so they don't look too shiny um these are these were just cheap little resin cast cars that i just took a sharpie and blackened out the windshields on them yeah I don't remember the brand, but they were, you know, I needed so many that I just bought like, you know, a couple dozen of them. Yeah. I I love that you have cars behind that row of like overgrown trees. In back here. Yeah. I just absolutely love that. Those are the hulks. 
Yeah. So here's that mountain that we saw under construction. Yeah. Pretty much fully treed in now, which makes an enormous difference. That's amazing. And it shows you the juxtaposition of this mountain and the viaduct to the junkyard scene. <laughs> okay. Jeez. Wow. Wow. And again, you can see there's the prototype building, you know, the reddish colored roof. Yep. Now it's time to build a road before you put the uh, junkyard in place. Yeah. <laughs> you, you ever notice you see the caulking gun hanging everywhere, like in almost every picture? Can I ask a question about that? Did you did you lose it a lot? You know, you, you hang it in a spot and then you have to spend minutes, hours looking for it, like I do with my cordless drill or something like that. I believe I just, in I believe in defense and depth. So uh, I, usually <laughs> have, I usually have three going at any given time. There you go. Okay. So, so this one in here, because once you did the dirty crawl to get under there, you don't want to have to do the yeah. crawl back to go get the gun. So that one kind of stayed there. And there's another one in the aisle and another one probably lost someplace. Oh my gosh. So I'm using just uh, just strip wood here tacked in place with some side pox as the uh, as these as the forms for the road. Yep. And that's the curve and everything all in place. So really I'm ready to start paving here, I think. And you can oh see, gosh, the lightweight, see the lightweight see the lightweight here. Yeah. That's what I was thinking, Andy. This the road, road is it, it's like almost a mile long. <laughs> Unbelievable. So it's got to kind of be mixed and paved in one swell foop here. Yeah. So there it is. So I, I use tap stuff. I use lightweight spackle and I use powdered paint pigments and, and just, you know, mix well. Okay. And, uh, it goes in very easy. And if you have the right width, um, Putty knife, you know, it, it, it's pretty easy to get it the way you want. I usually, I usually do one full coat, let it dry overnight, and then I will go back and smooth out any any bumps, and then take a little more and just fill in any uh, any wow. any potholes that don't look realistic. But it's pretty pretty straightforward. And you pre-color that that uh, dap. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. That's what that's what the powdered uh, right are for. So it's the same same color all the way through. That's that's really good. You have to worry about chipping it. Chipping, right? Yeah, exactly. I used to do roads out of plaster. That was a nightmare. Ugh. So now the road has been uh, boundaried with some um, of that same grout type material along mm -hmm. the edges. Um, all of the all of this uh, is now all dirted. Uh, in place all the way down into here. Oh my gosh! And the driveways for the houses are in place. <laughs> Shit! Come on. <laughs> Make, makes sense to do it while you're doing the road. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And there's the houses in place. Unbelievable. I think we're ready for junkyard. Note that at the end here, I've got a little picture because okay. the road has to, has to look like it's going someplace. Yeah. I tried printing a picture from Google Maps and stuck it there, and I thought, 
eh, it's kind of the right idea, but it doesn't look right. So I, I continue to scratch my head a little bit on that. <laughs> oh, Freshly wow. cut lawns. Very, very nice ma ma manicured there. Yeah. Must be a high dollar HOA. Yeah, right. So, so you can see now this this has a lot of weathering in place because it's supposed to yeah. look a little grimy and gritty. Yep. And that's a, a very out of focus photo of what the road needs to do. <laughs> see, it's right. even got a car on it. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it's not. It's it's not exactly right. But you can see how you need something there. You can't just die out in a wall, right? Yeah, right. So now I did some striping of the roads, which was just a pain in the neck. Ugh. Nothing fun about that. I used automotive pin striping. So you notice the road right now looks shiny. Uh, I found that it worked best when I put the uh, shiny acrylic down and let it dry, put the pin striping down, and then shiny acrylic over it, and then a couple coats of, uh, of dull coat from a rattle can. Yeah. There you go. Now, if you look in the distance... Looks like the road just keeps going because I decided yeah. to try a mirror there and it worked. Hey, that's a good idea. Well, I mean, the, the, that idea has been around a long time, but uh, you really have to have the right uh, situation for it. Uh, you got to make sure, for example, you never see yourself in the mirror, which kind of destroys the illusion. Uh, so <laughs> the, the angle of it, you know, is, uh, is critical. Yeah. Here's Pittston Junction, which I was kind of working down and towards. So you can see the road now is paved all the way down into the corner. The confluent backdrop is going to go all along here and into this curve and kind of die out in this area behind some trees. So this is going to be all houses um, taken of actual Pittston Junction houses. That's uh, the same road? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> Come on. So, so oh. how long is that road? And yeah. I'm going to go back a little bit here and then I'll zoom ahead again. 20 feet. So you see the, you see the, um, the plywood here. Yeah. Yeah. The thing. So, so the, the photo backdrop starts right here and it's 12 feet long. Wow. To the right. So oh, it's probably, man. you know, it's probably a good eight feet or maybe more, you know, from this point going to the left. So it's a long road. That is a wow. long road. <laughs> wow. So where was I? You know, it's one thing to put oh, yeah. a stretch a main line down 20 feet. It's another thing to do. Do a road. A road. Yeah, there's that... a reason this part doesn't have the stripes yet. <laughs> but you see how the road is sort of in place here. This is where the Pittston Junction Yard Office will be. Uh, there'll be a little gate here. This is this is how they entered from Main Street. This is the Taylor Secondary, which is a track that Conrail put in to connect mm. from Pittston Yard going down the Taylor Secondary. This used to be the EL Main, but this is a, a, a functional and, and working Y, which I always wanted and never had. Mm. So this photo, I guess I took this from a step stool or something. Um, oh, my God. But... You can see how the road with the stripes kind of end, the stripes end about here. There's the road going off that we just looked to down at the Pittston Junction over here. Here's all the houses that I took out. And here's the module planked down in place. 
So basically, I had to I had to turn it up on its edge, get it through the doorways, and then pick it up over my head to get it over all of the, um, uh, you know, the scenic dividers. Mm. And I planked it down on here. And then I did the dirty crawl. There we go. <laughs> and planked oh, it in place. Wow. And only then. When you do the dirty crawl back out and look at it, do you do you decide did it work? <laughs> yeah, right. So it's not done, obviously, because you need trees along in here, and and you need to do something about this. I think I ended up bluing some of this and then adding another section with some higher trees eventually. But the basic concept kind of worked. No, do you are you, you looking at it from a distance? This is my favorite view. Because you can see the road going away under the bridge, yeah. and you kind of see the whole place. Um, obviously, I need a trim trim piece in here, and I haven't filled in any of the grooves or anything. But here's there's the basic scene. Wow, that's incredible. Very unusual scene for me. I've never built anything like this with any, and it's it's rare that you get this kind of depth on a model railroad. So. It, it was definitely worth doing. That's that you know, amazing. And, the alternative is, would have been to put to just like round off the corner behind it and do your standard backdrop. And I thought, no, I want to make use of this space. Well, the thing is, though, too, Mike, is a lot of times model railroaders will say, well, I got this big space. I got to put track in there somehow. Yeah, right. Right. You know, it, it, and in reality, you really don't. You know, well, you don't want to create an area that you have to do the dirty crawl every time you want to switch it out, right? <laughs> yeah, now there's a question for you. What about making other, could you make this a different scene if you wanted to, you know, since that's removable, really? Well, I'm a prototype modeler. I don't think the prototype's going to change, so <laughs> this is the scene. But could you make it if something happened, like like uh, like say you found out something happened with the scene, like at, near or during your era, that you needed to change something out, it just easily taken out and worked on and put back in place, right? Um, I would say I guess you could. I probably wouldn't. <laughs> like the last thing I want to do is get this thing out of here. It's all kind of glued in place too. Yeah. So now I've added trees in here, shoved a couple more junk cars in there, starting to look more like the prototype. No sign yet. And as you can see, I've taken care of the backdrop problem here. I put I put sky back in here and yeah. more tall trees. I like that perspective right that picture right there is yeah, here's the good. sign. There you go. <laughs> That's cool. This guy's got his pacer parked in his driveway. <laughs> Did he get that from next door? I doubt it. So we got a couple of questions. I still need uh, to plant. I've done. I have since uh, this picture. You know, put enough uh, stuff under here so this doesn't look like it's floating in the air. <laughs> yeah, I love. I love the floating. The floating buildings. So there's. I got a handful of questions. A couple from the chat. A couple of my own, Mike. All right. Um, so Ralph Ranzetti said, "With such a deep space, um, why didn't why didn't you choose to do forced perspective?" I know we talked a little bit about that earlier, but 
um, was there was there some sort of uh, reasoning that really, you know, pushed you one way or the other? Just wasn't my primary goal. Um, yeah. I, like if my goal had been to make it look even deeper, then I might have approached it from that perspective. But what I was modeling really was the junkyard in in its immediate behind. Yeah. And when you look at it in the aerial photos, um, what I was seeing and what I was going to model didn't look so distant that it required using forced perspective to bring it about. Okay. So it was certainly camo I mean, green is a, um, is a, uh, it's a, it's a Rust-Oleum. It's from their camo line. I use the uh, camo brown to paint my track. And um, I use the, the uh, camo black because it's a really flat, good spray black. I'll paint trees with either the brown or the black and use them interchangeably. Uh, the camo green is, uh, is, is the same uh, from the same series, just a spray can. Yeah, rattle can. So then, the while you guys are asking questions, I'm going to see if I can find on another monitor uh, that picture that I wanted to share. Sure. Uh, let me just get this over here. So you the, don't see that now, right? No, we don't. All right. So get, ask away, and I'm just going to look for a picture. Yeah. So the other the other pieces here. So some of so obviously we have some filler cars in the background there, but I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the pacer. Uh, that's that's out there. Where did you where did you get some of those uh, automobile automobile I, I models? Think, I think many of the cars are fresh cherries. Um, you remember that that line of cars? No, I don't. <clears throat> I, I'm not really sure what era they were from. It might have been 80s or 90s. Okay. Uh, but they were, they were you know the pretty good um, HO metal diecast vehicles. You can probably find them on 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 eBay. Mm -hmm. um, the um, I didn't buy them, you know, back in the day. So I got some used. Uh, my friend Ken McCory um, graciously donated uh, X number of them to the cause. So you know, you just kind of accumulate them in in various ways. Hmm. Yeah, very good. I just absolutely love this scene. I I just. Um, I think that's one of the things that doesn't get focused on a lot is the non-track side or the, the rail served scene. Mm -hmm. And I, I absolutely love how it just pulls the, I mean, it, it sucks up all the, the, that negative space, right? Well, did you see the pictures that I posted on crew call of Neil Schofield's layout? Yeah. Like he's, he's master of that, right? I mean, he, He's modeling a, a particular or, or a specific uh, area, right? Because he's full prototype modeling as well. And, yeah. and because of that, he's, he's got pictures and he's, he's doing it up, um, you know, just like you see. <clears throat> and he's done a great job of it. So, you know, what is prototype modeling, right? I mean, like Confalone is full proto freelance, which sure. gives him a lot of freedom to use his own artistic sense to create a scene that looks right to him. So it's liberating, but also limiting because he's got nothing to go by except his own artist's eye. 
So everything right. has pros and cons. The prototype model, there's the exact opposite problem. You've got a prototype scene. You're trying to create the flavor of it. And you don't have room to build it because you never do. Right. <laughs> so you've got, you've got to find a way to selectively compress it and still convey the feel of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. On the other hand, because, because it's prototype modeling and you have that constraint, it's also, it gives you guidelines. It gives you parameters that you're operating between, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? So yeah. rather than having to have it just be completely wide open, you know, you, you, you know, you want to capture this element, you want to capture that element. And, um, that seems to work for me as opposed, cause I used to be a proto freelance guy, you know, and, and I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong, you know, but, um, when I, when I, when I finally found my prototype and, and decided that's what I wanted to do for me, I just started to enjoy it a lot more. And I started to be able to, to picture it hmm. in my head, even though I was basically operating within the constraints of, of the prototype. I mean, I, does that make any sense? I think so. Um, <laughs> I think so. When I got done with that, I thought that sounded like garbledy good. <laughs> yeah, I, I got. I think I'll be. I'll be a hundred percent honest with you there. Um, I, it sounded pretty good. Um, I guess what I'm saying is, there. if you're prototype modeling, um, you, you know, if you're doing it completely freelance, it's all on you. Yeah, exactly. And if you're really good at it, like Contalon is, then it comes out really good. But sometimes it's the hardest thing to do because you're creating 100% of it with nothing to go by. Whereas if you're a prototype modeler, you know what you're aiming for. So you're, you're recreating something that you've either seen or are looking at a picture of hmm. I love hopefully that, that makes a little more sense the sign looks really good too yeah that sign's awesome i love it I'm, I'm still going through pictures here if you can indulge me another minute or two I'm yeah good. absolutely so i think uh what i'd like to do at at this time here is is, is bring up the 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 uh, mike rose's uh crew call podcast um a crew call with mike rose he has a, a Facebook group out there as well um, where he posts a lot of his progress shots. Um, I know that I'm a member uh, of that, that group and he uh, is always posting um, just fantastic photos of the modeling that he's doing out there. Plus the podcast that he um, has is also out there as well. Um, so it's a good community Um as, as well and, and certainly should check it out. I do want to give the, the, while we're doing some, um, I guess, rummaging for some more pictures here in the, um, I, I do want to bring up just a, a fact from the, from the chat, a lot of great questions tonight. Um, so if there's anything that um, pops out in your head, I think uh, there was a question back in, in a while ago from Dodo One Ops 
um, that said, what color do you paint your fascia? Do you color yours black, Mike? Confalone green. Confalone green. There you go. I, I heard you mention that. I heard you mention that before. <laughs> the reason I call it that is it's a it's a it's a color that Mike Confalone came up with, a custom mix. And yeah. I looked at it and thought, yeah, I like that. Give me a hunk. So yeah. he, and then I took and then I took a hunk down at Home Depot and had him color match it, and that's what I'm using. Yeah, it's a it's a I like the that dark green as well myself. There's so many greens, you know what I mean? But there was something about this one that just kind of worked with my with my color scheme, if that makes sense. Yeah. So um just and then there's a question here from N Scale Shenanigans who had to step out briefly. Um, what do you use for your roads? And that's the uh, lightweight spackle mixed with powdered uh, paint pigments. Yeah. And so that's the, the it's a product by DAP. You yep. can find it pretty much in any home uh, building outlet, Ace Hardware, wherever. Um, and it's, it's, you mix it up with uh, that. I'm going to start mixing it up now. This is a tip that I'm taking away from tonight's uh, podcast is mix it up with some pigments before I go laying it down to, so I don't have the bright white chips that come out. Um, and I have to take and a piece of advice on that. Yeah. Um, go easy because go. you can always darken it, but it's really hard to lighten it if you put too yeah. much and, yeah. and chances are, chances are you're going to want a lighter color than you think. Yeah. Asphalt paving tends to fade quickly. I, I noticed that with your with the roads that you did, the it was almost like a concrete type of gray, and then you came must have came over the top of it with some paint to to darken it up. Then, uh, on which section? Uh, be just like the right in front of us here that we have. It looks like the the pavement's pretty dark there. Uh, you know, I I think a lot of that has to do with. Um, Part of it's the lighting. Part of it's okay. the, part of it's the coatings. Uh, when you first put it down, it tends to be a little bit lighter, and then it kind of darkens. Sure. I'm going to drag a picture over here just to okay. just to promise that my, my buddy Dave will kill me. But <laughs> this, you see the depth of the trees in this scene. Yes. So there's the other side of that opening. There's wow. There's the Dupont Bridge. This is the track coming into a Volca yard. This is this is this is the tide treatment plant, and all of this is is trees. So you get this effect out of it. There's wow. that Dupont Road bridge again. This is the Taylor Secondary coming up through trees. To the left of it is the Lackawanna River, and you can't even see it. So the trees are separating the the track from the river from a Volca yard, and that's exactly the way it is on the prototype. Andy, you better get going on making trees. Yes. I just you have to make a friend of making trees. You just have to get your mind right and, and decide that you know his Pocono Northeastern interchange at, at Taylor. Yeah, that's all that's outstanding. This is but, a Volker yard. This is a this is their their yard on a hot summer day. Like you go back to that uh that's what is that, that single shot of the Conrail coming through that that grove of trees there yep and um it just that that picture just there's an iconic picture on the chicago northwestern on the on the ore lines the m35 bridge right where you have the you know they're coming out of empire mine heading back towards escanaba and there's that 
cut of uh, just the locomotive and the train coming through the, the trees. It, that just that reminded me of that 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 type of scene to catch. That's that's really cool, Mike. How you did that? That was another scene that that kind of I don't want to say that it, um, it. I knew it had to be that deep, and I knew that I was constrained to the dimensions of that opening because everything that kind of came through there, which was Taylor secondary Conrail main line. Um, and the scenery that would support all of that, that all had to be created in that particular area. Mm-hmm. So I had to build all of that to completion, which is not really my style <laughs> uh, in order to, build the rest of the layout in front of it, if that makes sense. Here's your... Uh, there it is. Atta boy. There you go. <laughs> the old Quasimodo locomotive. Yep. And this yeah. is this is, a, this is the um, Conrail local backing some um, uh, untreated ties into the uh, Kerr-McGee uh, plant at Durea Junction. You can see the Taylor secondary down in the bottom here. Oh, cool. You never know what you're going to get on local power. Is I mean, I could I could sit here and 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 stare at at, at pictures of of your layout all night long. This is a this is a cool shot too. Just a perspective of looking up the rails with trees on both sides. Tracking the trees. I mean, that's that's what my modeling area looks like. You know, you hang around in it enough and you get the feel for it. Yeah. It's really incredible. These are all photos taken during an op session. You know, here's an example of photo backdrop, right? This is one of the earlier photo backdrops that kind of did for me. But it's what you need behind this Mahoopany plant. Otherwise, it just wouldn't work. Okay. And that's a deep scene. So we got another question here from Otter Creek. And Rio Grande uh, saying, what do you use to fix the foliage to your super trees? Do you use spray adhesive, hairspray, something else? So the, the procedure for the super trees is actually pretty straightforward. Um, the tree, the armature gets selected. You know, you, you, you pick off what is junk. You pick off the stupid little leaves that are there, which is the worst yeah. part. You paint it. I use either flat black or camouflage brown, some dark color. Yep. And you mix up a batch of matte medium. Um, I forget whether it's three or four to one. It's whatever it says on the on the on the bottle. Yep. And uh, I usually use a you know a, a tall pitcher like a like a lemonade Tupperware yeah. pitcher or something. Um, and um, you dunk the tree, take it out, bring it over to bin number one, sprinkle on some spring green, bring it over to bin number two, sprinkle on some grass green. Stick it in a box, in a, in a hole in a box. Yeah. Let, let it dry, and then uh, later when it's dry, I mist it with um, Final Net unscented hairspray, which is t- a terrific spray glue, and sprinkle on some knock leaves or some Scenic Express. Um, I think they call it Super Leaf foliage, which yep. gives like if you look in this picture, you see some of this sort of lighter stuff on some of the, like this up in this corner here. Yep. Those are the knock leaves, like up in here too. You see it. Yeah. So it just gives it a little bit of 
Yeah, I'll see if I can find a better picture of it. Uh, it's hard to tell in some of these shots. These are, like I said, these are all pics taken during an op session. You can see some down in here. These little, these little lighter particles, you know, which really kind of replicate yeah. trees, maybe the underside of them being blown in the wind or something. Just gives it a little more, a little more relief. A little shade to it. Yep. I wouldn't use um, some of the pictures that I posted from Neil's layout. I mean, he's got some foreground trees that he did with, did a lot of work on each individual tree, and um, and they looked stupendous you know what i mean but you could never do i'm modeling forested hillsides here i'm not modeling a tree if i had to model a solo tree i would have to really pick and choose the particular super tree armature that i i would use for that uh or because you're going to see more of it or mm -hmm. use something different as the armature but sure. really it's a matter of uh, each of the two colors of ground foam i mix coarse and fine um, oh, okay. And there's no formula to it. I just, you know, and I use plastic shoe boxes um, for each of the foam colors. Um, I let it dry, and in, you know, in between um, tree making sessions, and really, that's that's it. You know, um, it's it's just a matter of of repeating it ten million times. You know, and and uh, <laughs> the making of the trees is the easiest part. The picking of the armature is the is the hardest part. That yeah, that is the one downfall of the super tree cleaning right. up those armatures. That's, right, it's an unfortunate now, the, event. And, and they've and they have gotten expensive. They've basically doubled in price. Really? Oh yeah. Oh. Yep. And and have been in very short supply. Um, I've had. Uh, even the ground foam has been in short supply. Uh, Tom Johnson helped me out with uh, some ground foam he didn't need from them. And Ken McCory saved my bacon with an incredible donation of, I think it was two and a half cases, the super value cases of super trees, one of which he'd already picked. It was like a gift from the heavens. You know what I mean? It was, it was really a, a, wow. a very kind thing to, uh, to give me and, and helped me a lot in terms of, making a big impact in a short, in a short period of time. It's just, it, it's, uh, I, I look at it and I'm going, Oh, I, I want this on my layout. You know, this is, this is, this is the, the type of scenes that I want to portray as well, but I'd have to bring in a few more pine trees and, well, and some you know, more birch trees. trees. Are, are an entirely different problem. Yes, and, they are. <laughs> and the reason for that is there's, there's no easy way to make a good pine tree. They're a lot no. of work. No, that's true. And then and then the birch trees, too, that Split Rock was, was talking about. Is, you don't is think you could make a convincing birch tree with super trees just by I don't, white uh, marking it? I don't know. They're pretty straight. I mean, don't they, they come up in big stand, like little stands together, don't they, uh, Ab? You have to yeah. be you have to be selective in your uh, in in the armature that you um, that you use. That's that's for sure. Yeah, and I think that's the there, there's going to have to be a lot of teasing. There it is. This is a different spot, believe it or that's not. It's another one. Yeah, unbelievable. So it's like it's like that all over the place here because it needs to be. You know, that's 
That's amazing. This is Dupont Junction heading up the heading up the ramp. Now that's a relatively shallow scene. Wow. That's a Conrail train waiting to get into Pittston. The coveted over under shot. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Wasn't that uncommon? We've probably talked about this before, but what's cool about this scene is that this is a road bridge over a rail bridge over a rail bridge over a stream. Not something you see every day. Huh. And this this bridge on this track is longitudinal. So it the stream goes around the abutment and down like this, and this whole track, the whole length of that is on this bridge like this. Oh my gosh. So basically the rails go over the stream for a, a significant part. Oh yeah, of the time. several car lengths, you know. Yeah. My my buddy Tony V, who's a reading who was a reading northern engineer, brought brought us down there to see this. And as soon as I saw it, I said, I have to model this. This is a signature yeah. scene. And I, I I think the most fun I had in the whole thing was the green bridge. Huh. Just had a ball building that thing. That's fantastic. This is this a little is... a little taste for, for uh Justin because he, he likes DuPont. <laughs> yeah, right. He he asked about it earlier in the in the show. Right. That's for sure. Excellent. So I think this is, Mike, I, I just want to, first of all, thank you for, for taking us through again, um, your process and, 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 you know, answering all the questions that come up. I, I know I, I appreciate it. And I, and I can certainly say that the, the folks in the chat tonight do as well. Um, I do want to just um, give the, the final um, call for questions for Mike. Um, I know there's some there's been some questions about what, how do you, how do you choose the color for your trees? Um, being, you know, do you, some people do summer or a fall? Um, you know, where, where are you at in, in terms of that? Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm modeling, uh, you know, like late, late June, early July. So everything's, you know, pretty lush. Green. Yeah. You know, maybe lush just starting to get a little crispy in the grass, but, but, you know, Full, you know, full, full leaf. Um, how do I choose the colors? You know, um, you know, bought several colors and tried trees with different um, shades and mm -hmm. settled pretty early on on the spring green, grass green uh, color combo. Yeah, and that's. I mean, it's it's very. Um, it just, you, when you, you look at it, you see the lushness, you see the, this is a, uh, you know, a forest in June, you know, there's, it's, it really looks, really looks convincing. Um, <clears throat> by rights, it could be, it could easily be a lot weedier. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, the right. kind of thing that, like, that's the other point I wanted to make was that I, I had decided quite a, quite a while ago that my goal was going to be to get as much of the layout presentable as possible and kind of went on a bare plywood eradication project. And, and I found that the more finished scenery I had, the more I enjoyed operating on the layout. Yeah. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that any of these scenes are finished by any, by any stretch of the imagination. And my wife wonders, are you going to run out of things to do in the layout? And I just say, <laughs> not a chance. 
Yeah. Not a chance. There's always something to do, right? Right. There's always something fun to do in model railroading, which yeah. is why I like the hobby. Yeah. It's carpentry, wiring, uh, artistry in the in the scenery, model building. I mean, it's got so many facets. I, I don't know many hobbies that would encompass that, you know, so it kind of worked for me in that regard. Yeah. So it just the... Uh, there's just a couple other questions. It, it's, um, it says that it appears that all the trees are one color in, and that there's the very, there's a variation there. Um, is this due to the, the reference photos, um, and just the lighting? Um, or is it all, is it all like a single green? I know that, uh, it's been asked a handful of times. Well, so I'm not entirely sure I understand the question, but I, I think what they mean is uh, I'm saying that I'm making all my trees with basically two colors of foam. Yeah. But when you look at the hillsides, um, they don't look they don't look monotonous. Yeah. So I get that natural variation because I'm basically using two colors of foam and two grades of um, uh, you know fine and in coarse. Yeah. Nothing gets measured. So no two tubs of it are the same. I just throw foam in there and yeah. mix it up, you know. Um, so I, it's just like natural variation by, by um, you know, by virtue. Random. Yeah, right. Life, a- ex- life expectancy of floral foam, um, unknown. I think it's going to be fine for my lifetime, which is all I care about. Yeah. I've had some stuff. I've, I think, uh, five, 10 years, no, five, oh, been using seven years. I have had no problems with it, like bubbling or off gassing or, yeah. I, uh, I, I really, really, I believe that, that the foam is going to be stable as long as you protect it from UV. UV will degrade it. Yep. Yeah, for sure. That's true of any foam, by the way, not just floral foam. All, all the foams have that problem. So if it's if it's a, it's used outside, it's always got stucco coating or or something like that. Tyvek that house wrap on right. it, and that type of stuff. Um, so Fox River Rail fan asks uh, when the short line of the show is. Um, we're gonna, I think tonight, uh, since we're running um, almost to the two and a half hour mark, we're gonna we're gonna postpone. Why? the short line of the show uh, until next time and save Mike's voice too. I know he's not feeling so, yeah. so hot with us. So <laughs> we'll, we'll hit that up. Hopefully in uh, two weeks I'll be feeling a little better yeah. the next time we do one. Well, yeah. I didn't mean to, uh, I didn't mean to hog the entire show there, but. Oh, no, that don't, no, no, this no, was, the, we, I, I was very happy that uh, you, you came, um, you came on and, and, went into the detail that you did. You don't have to worry about hogging the show what whatsoever. We love we love it when the guest does all the work for us. So <laughs> but um as a fellow podcaster I can relate. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So um but at, at any rate, Mike, I just wanted to um Mike Ostertag, any any final comments or or anything like that um before before we sign off for this evening. Do some yeah, final do, round. I, Mike, do you do you see once you get done like with the scene in the corner here and you move on to your next thing? And if you're how often do you go back and revisit something and say, 
or see something like say a detail or something like that or or a way of you know like a guardrail or something what how often do you go back and say oh i i need to go back and do that on this road because that was here i didn't realize that was here or i didn't realize this was here and you know how often do you end up doing that or do you have a like a laundry list of stuff like that you have to go and do yet i do have a rough uh i do have a rough priority list you know and and i think my i think my priority has been to like i say eradicate the bare plywood you know and and i'm i've got this thing on the run now i really i really do so when i get my my scenic backdrop in for for piston junction i think piston junction itself will get finished in short order yeah, and um, what all that remains at that point is is one more section that on leaving Piston Junction off to the right. That's the Pocono Northeast, and it's a fairly narrow piece of bench work. Um, so it's going to require a lot of um, I don't know. I'm going to really pick the brains of my cohorts about the right way to do something there. And then the only other place left to build layout in is the former oil tank room that's the one where the I blasted through the foundation wall to get in there you know this, <laughs> uh, uh, i had too much sweat into that hole to not utilize that space you know and yeah. um i think that is um that and that's the final piece of layout to actually build so to answer your question um i'm likely to move on to the PE portion hmm before I go back and start tweaking anything, but I'm probably likely to tweak things before I do the final construction in the former oil tank room. Because that, you know, I don't need to build that. It's not, it's in its own little area. And, um, but the PE will will now be the only undone section in the entire, you know, 1800 square feet. So, the motivation for that will be let's let's complete it. Yeah. And I do most of the work on my on my layout um, myself. Um, I've certainly had buddies come over and help me with stuff. Uh, everybody's better at doing static grass than I am. It's just it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably my most frustrating thing to do. You know, um, and I, I swear it's my gun. In fact, I borrowed Confalone's gun for like a year. Oh, wow. I'm just very reluctant to give it back. And I had better results with his um, than than mine. And for reasons I can't really, you know, can't really quantify it. Um, Schofield and, uh, and Jim Dufour also do stunning uh, static grass work. But I think they also, yeah. one of the things they do is, uh, and I've done some of this too, it does work. Once you've got it down, you go back the next day, hit it with some hairspray and do it again. And then mm-hmm. if that's not enough, hit it with some hairspray and do it again. So they've 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 built up by repeated application some really lush looking uh, static grass. And that's an example of some something where in certain areas where I think the grass is sort of eh, I can I can definitely improve upon that, you know. Yeah, that's and static grass is a is a mystic art in my opinion. It's 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 something some days are better than others. And yeah, like, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So okay, so that what we went through tonight was just part one. Uh, no, actually, I took you through the whole thing. Ooh, so we got a sneak preview. Oh, we got 
Wow. I couldn't even tell where the break was, so I just kept we, going. We scooped we even scooped the magazine. Yeah, yeah we wow. scooped the magazine tonight. So um, but I do wanna I do wanna give a final shout out uh to, to MRH and, and the article that you put in there. I know Mike and I both read it. Um and a lot of good I mean basically it was everything we talked about tonight, but right. you should check it out because there's there's some just some some other tidbits that may have been been missed but the, the thing to keep in mind i think is that it's a column you know what i mean it yeah. appears uh, i guess quarterly something like that yeah. joe tells me it's my turn and i and i do an article maybe it's maybe it's three times a year but um there's a theme you know what i mean and um if you like if you work your way backwards reading the columns you'd really see the evolution i think of, of maybe certain uh style and, and, and technique and yes you know get something out of that too yeah and that's the, and that's that was the other thing i was gonna uh plug as well is that um the the back issues you can see how how things have evolved on your layout as well as just what you've posted on the crew call uh page that you run as well it's fan it's awesome to see um just the progress and and it's it's unbelievable it really is unbelievable and um it it certainly gives me inspiration to 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 get going on my stuff, but you know, there's there's good good information there and good tips that help me become a better better modeler. So, the, the I, advice I would give is it's amazing what you can get done when you actually work on the layout. When you do it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, so um, I I just again want to thank you. I want to thank the section crew tonight. Um, we carried seventy people all the way to to the end here. Um, could I could I just chime in on something? No, your 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 microphone should be shut. <laughs> yes, of course. Jump right, in. I want to I want to revisit something Mike said earlier. Okay. Those about okay. Check this out. Okay, we're doing. Oh wait a minute. Never mind. No. Hold on. Wrong one. No, no. I got it. Okay. Okay. Sure. This and that, and then go here. Look at this. Fresh cherries, vehicles. Oh. Look at the prices on eBay. Woo. Red box. <laughs> Red box. Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, they, uh, a 1974 AMC Hornet for 23 bucks. Uh, a 75 Honda Civic for 22.9. I mean, they, they should be like you know five or eight bucks. You know what I mean? And, and a lot of them are twelve, like right around twelve bucks. Right. They used to be sold in Walmart, believe it or not. Really. Among really? other places, I mean, hobby shops had them too, but I guess Walmart had, had carried them at one time. And they also, just for our multi-scale people that are in here, S-scale friends, they have them in one sixty-fourth. Red Cherry did one sixty-fourth. They did one eighty-seventh, huh. and I, I believe, I'm just going to do this quick. I thought I saw some one forty-eighth scale. Uh, nope, must not have been. Must not have been that. So, but yeah, that's uh, uh, go on, hop on eBay and pick up your pacer. I'm gonna, you know? I'm gonna get my. This is so. This was I was looking for a place to get 70s autos, and that's yeah. Derek, Derek asked if I have a YouTube channel. Yes, but of course, um, <laughs> Mike Rose Hobbies. Mike Rose Hobbies yep. and. And then just a number of mediocre videos there. (laughs) 
Maybe there's just, one or two good ones. Yeah, there is just, one of me drilling the holes in the foundation worth the price of admission. I I haven't seen that one yet. Now I'm gonna now I am gonna go and watch because I've heard stories about the 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 drilling experience. So I yeah, wanna it's not, I wanna it's not a long one, but it's worth it's worth watching. I wanna I wanna see this the struggle. I wanna see the struggle. Yeah. Um, but this is this has been uh, fantastic, Mike. You just a you're a fantastic uh, personality to have on the show. Thank you for coming on, um, and we we truly appreciate it. I'm going to put all of your contact info, uh, the mrhobby.com, your YouTube page, your Facebook page. I'll get those up in the show notes so that way people can go in and reference that uh, for future future. Um, I guess uh, reference. I'll I'll use that circular term there, um, and 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 make sure that you can go see Mike drilling holes in concrete. <laughs> I, I, I I can't wait to watch this. So, Mike, uh, before we Mike uh, uh, Rose, before we tie down tonight, any any final thoughts that you want to leave with the crew? Um, uh, I guess I would just say it, it's been fun as always, and uh, and maybe we'll catch up in the spring and talk yeah. about Kaiser Valley a little bit. I'd love, I'd love to have you back on, Mike. That's for sure. Absolutely. Yes. Anytime. So, thank you so much, and thank you to the section crew, and uh, hope uh, you guys all enjoyed this one. This is a great show. Uh, thanks, everyone, and and good night. Have a good night, everybody. Good night, guys.